listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Big Willie and the Samurai, bringing class to trash since 1977. All right, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the GGTMC. We are back. We are on the air. We are live. We are Albert Pune's Lost Children. <laughs> so <laughs> I think Will might still be turned down because <laughs> I know he would have laughed if he heard that. <laughs> oh, God, you missed the cackle. We certainly. <laughs> yes. You never know what's going on off the air. We were looking through Albert Pune's uh, filmography. So. <laughs> the legendary Pune. <laughs> so there you go. Um uh, okay, uh, so we are back. Uh, we got some good stuff to talk about this week. We are covering uh, Dust Devil from 1992, I think. Yep. I think, yeah. And uh, Maniac from 1980. Uh, kind of infamous film there. Dust Devil, both of them pretty infamous, actually, in, in their own yeah. unique ways. So Yeah, absolutely they are. This is, of course, I guess, uh, in essence, kind of our Halloween episode. Uh, yeah. Consciously programming two timely horror-ish films or films that fall under the umbrella of horror yes yes actually uh, dust devil was more horror than i remembered being actually such a weird uh yeah, there's some pretty good stuff. and you know what's great sammy these two films share yeah at least one thing great head explosions <laughs> yeah. i know when i was watching them i was like wow you know and i'm watching dust devil i watched the uh, maniac first and then i watched dust devil second i watched dust devil and i'm like yeah okay this, this movie's still as good as i remembered to be in but i'm watching and i'm like boom and i'm like whoa i forgot about yeah. that <laughs> nice nice okay so that's what we're covering. Uh, let's see what we've been watching. What have you been up to, Large William? You've been up to a little bit. I've seen some some good stuff and some different stuff on there for you. Yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, it's kind of a smaller week. I watched uh, one, two, three, four, five, six. I got seven in. Not bad. Um, and ironically, the first one I watched uh, was Seven Days, which is the French-Canadian film, uh, revenge film, but a man who's, uh, whose daughter gets killed. Uh, he goes to get the killer and he tortures him and... Yes, so watch out for the chains, as you and uh, Brian were <laughs> yes. kind enough to point out. Yes. I think it's a, it's a good film, Revenge, as I was saying to you. I, I don't know how to word this. It sometimes can come across as obvious and hollow. Not to say this is obvious or hollow, because there is more going on than just torture or visceral thrills. There's some kind of poetic stuff that I, actually, I did tear up at one scene. Uh, yeah. You know, I think it works for me, you know, and someone like you, because we have children. So Yeah, I think it might, for ch- people with children, I think it might, uh, it might hit you on a more uh, kind of primal level. Oh, but yeah. but uh, it, it, it's, yeah, it's not a great film, but it is a good film. I'm looking forward to the next thing that director does. Very much. Yes, so. absolutely, man. And I just I'm really happy that it was a Canadian film with great production value. It looks quite well done from a technical standpoint. I would say oh, yeah. you know it's definitely worth checking out. I mean it, it's you know if you want to check it out for kind of visceral thrills, then it, it, there's some good stuff in there. But yeah, um, just be warned, it's pretty harsh. It's, it's pretty graphic. Yeah. Um, then I watched. Uh, I, I kind of. It would have made probably the worst double bill in the history of cinema. I watched the documentary Babies after that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like what a tonal shift, man. <laughs> even even uh, you know some of the greats couldn't <laughs> shift tones like this. Um, I really, really, really enjoyed Babies. This was when I watched with my wife. Yeah, because we actually we watched both of these together. Actually, Seven Days and then this. Nice. Um, <laughs> but uh, Babies was great. It's got no narration. It's just a life of four babies. From birth, essentially, to just over one-year-old baby in Mongolia, one in uh, Tokyo, one in San Francisco, and one in Namibia. 
it's it's really interesting. I mean, it, it is, I guess, slightly a puff piece mm-hmm. um, because it's, it's just cute babies doing cute baby things. But it is still interesting to see some of the differences and similarities despite cultural uh, differences and and everything else. It is still very interesting to see human nature kind of come to the surface uh, regardless of where you are. Right. Um, but it, I, I enjoyed it, man. I think it's, uh, it's a good documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched another one, another documentary this week of sorts, this, uh, this Filthy World, which was uh, John Waters doing not a stand-up routine, but it's kind of like when you know, Kevin Smith did all those, you know, people, this, people just kind of do a little bit of a retrospective on their career, a little bit of comedy, yeah. you know, kind of talk about things. Really enjoyed it. Um, John yeah. Waters is one of my favorite people uh, in Hollywood or on the fringes. I guess one of my favorite people cinematically. I love him more than I love his films. I like his films a lot, yeah. but I really love him as a person. I think he's so engaging and and uh, charming. I just, I really enjoy listening to him. There's some great stuff in there. Some really good stuff. Yeah, I've seen that. I saw that a long time ago. Uh, yeah, he is. He's a great public speaker. Yeah, no, he really is. Um, and that was on Instant Watch, actually. I can say that here. I'll trot out my Instant Watches. Nice. Um, then I watched the David Essex Ringo Starr film, That'll Be the Day. Yeah. Um, it's a good film, man. I really, really dug it. I thought Ringo Starr was, was better than I thought he'd be. I didn't want to see his bare ass or the tattoo on his bare ass, but... <laughs> And I guess that's the way it goes sometimes. Uh, he'll, pop up, he'll pop up on the show at some point. He's in that uh, Spaghetti Western we keep talking about covering. We haven't got around to yet. The Blind Man. Oh. Blind Man. He's in that. Yeah. And didn't, didn't he also do that one with Alex Cox? Was he one of the musicians in that one? Yeah, um, I think so. I think so. He's in uh, He's in quite a few uh, genre films. Yeah, interesting. But I really like this film, man. It's, uh, it's about a boy, kind of the cyclical nature of of life. Uh, this boy gets abandoned by his father, and he kind of he's a restless soul. And it, pretty good stuff. Um, then I watched Rockers, which... Um, was also an instant watch. Uh, this was a film that was kind of compared to um, uh, The Harder They Come. Same kind of film. It's a Jamaican film from the same time frame. A lot of reggae music and stuff. I was really excited to watch it. Um, I got to say, I was I was pretty let down. It I I you know I heard some people say it was better than um, Harder They Come, which I think is just people you know being like that for the sake of being like that. Uh-huh. It's it's okay. You know, it's I kind of lament. Um, at a film like this that features again, a lot of great locales and a lot of great stuff and a culture that we don't see a lot on film, um, which I'll kind of talk about that when we do Dust Devil review. But uh, I don't know. It's okay. I mean, it, maybe it's worth a watch, but it's certainly not great. Um, but I you know, figured I'm a week up from Halloween. Let's get into some uh, some Halloween-related stuff. So I watched Let's Scare Jessica to Death, and uh, this was also an instant watch. I fucking loved it, man. I thought it was it was fantastic. Um, yeah, that's a good movie. It's a, it's a slow mover, but I like it. Really slow mover. It really is about the atmosphere and the dread. And um, what's her name? Uh, Zora Lambert or Lampert, something like that. The, the main actress in it does a fantastic job of of displaying kind of the confusion of her character because that really is one of the great unreliable narrator narrators in film. Yeah. Um, really good stuff, I man. I, I dug it. I guess not for everyone. Like you said, it's slow, but you know. Yeah. Um, decided to revisit one I, I'd seen most of in the past. Um, just because I was, I'm going to put together a list for Rupert's blog. I uh, decided to do Julie Darling, um, <laughs> and uh, needless to say, it didn't quite uh, hold up to what I thought it would be. Um, I remember seeing a few scenes, you know, drifting in and out of sleep uh, when I watched it the first time. That oh, okay, this might have something to it, but it's bizarre. But it's it's a little duller than I would have liked. It, it, it you know, it's got uh, uh, Sybil Danning, which is great. You know, she gets topless, but. Um, 
it's 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 bizarre, but it almost feels like with the absence of a few scenes made for TV. Yeah, I think that it's one of those kind of movies that uh, like everybody involved wishes didn't exist. <laughs> oh yeah, because there's some pretty awkward stuff in retrospect in that. Yeah, it, it, there's an uh, incestual undertones uh, with the kind of the daughter admiring the father, which you know daughters admire their fathers when they're young. It's they say their daughter father's the first their first love, but. Um, it doesn't really get sleazy necessarily. It just gets pretty crazy. But uh, yeah, it gets Francio- really, it's just really weird. <laughs> it is really bizarre, man. And Franciosa, between this and uh, Tenebrae, man, this guy's done some fucking wacky stuff. <laughs> yeah. um, and that's all I've watched this week beyond our films for the show, man. What have you gotten into? Uh, I've watched uh, a few things. Uh, I don't know if I talked about last week that I watched Once Brothers. That was the uh, Did I watch that? I think I, th- I, think I did mention that, actually. That was the uh, Vladi Divac uh, draws and No, you didn't, man. But I was really excited to see this one. I heard amazing things about it. It's really good. I don't know if I'm trying. I need to look and see. Did Vladi Divac make this movie? Was I think that, he was involved with it. I mean, I think. I mean, I'm talking about actually direct it because he. Uh, I didn't see anybody. I'm looking it up right now as we speak. As soon as I learn how to spell brothers in a search engine. Uh, let's see here. Of course. It's not going to be on the uh, the IMDb, but anyway, yeah. he might have made it. it was, either way, let's just put you know it's it's about uh, you know the uh, uh, differences between uh, you know the country they came from uh, was it Croatia I guess uh, Serbia yep. or whatever yep. <laughs> Yugoslavia <laughs> whatever country and how many people I offend in our Eastern European bloc. Uh, <laughs> it's you know some of the differences and stuff and how you know the really interesting thing is that Vladivac did one thing that he thought was an honorable thing to do and it just kind of made him an enemy in his own country so it's really interesting uh, i don't want to talk about the one thing i'll let everybody see it to see to see but it was just one little thing that he didn't think that was a big that was a very big deal and it ended up being a huge huge deal but uh really interesting and uh, of course everybody knows it well anybody that follows basketball knows Drazen petrovich unfortunately passed away <clears throat> just uh, as he was getting good man he played for the Nets. see i think he had just been an all-star the year before i remember that it was a weird summer man if you remember Petrovic died and Reggie Lewis died the same year, I believe. Oh, yeah, the same yeah. summer. Yeah, 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 yeah. So. And uh, really weird, but uh, it's a very good film. It is one of the better 30 for 30s, so I definitely recommend everybody check it out. So, Is it better than the two Escobars? Uh, well, no, I think the two Escobars is better, but I think it's because you got uh, real filmmakers there. I, I'm thinking Vladi Divac might have made this movie himself, might have directed it, so... Yeah. Uh, uh, but this is good. I mean, it's really good. I mean, uh, I thought the two Escobars is probably my favorite still, but... Uh, this is really, really good. No, 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 it's just right up there. It's like top five of these 30 for 30s. So easy, easy, easy. Wow. Uh, um, let's see. What else I watched? I watched um, The Promise, Darkness on the Edge of Town. This is a Bruce Springsteen documentary about you know the making of Darkness on the Edge of Town, an album he made after his big album came out, Born to Run. Um, good stuff. I think more for it'd be, it'd be more for musicians than it would be for uh, like, you know, or maybe just big Bruce fans. I'm not a big Bruce fan, actually. But uh, I'm I, not either. Yeah, I am a musician, so or I was. I can't say I am anymore. But uh, you know, if you're a musician, I think you'll find it very interesting. And again, if you're a Bruce fan, I think you'll find it very interesting. But it's uh, it's 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 good stuff. You know, I like those making of album things and what people go through while they make them. You would not believe the fucking lineup because I premiered here at TIFF and and the boss was in Toronto. <laughs> yes. So you can imagine the fucking fanfare around that. I was I went down to the light box just to tour around and like. You know, all the the boss fans were lined up for blocks. Yeah, he's got he's got a hell of a fan base. Oh, people love him, man. Yeah, they do. Uh, you know, he speaks to a certain type of individual, and uh, and they they stick with him no matter what. So, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I watched The Rig, which is a uh, kind of a like a, a thing a horror film set on an old rig starring William Forsythe. Sounds uh, good. Sounds good. Uh, but it is not. <laughs> <laughs> As a matter of fact, you even get moments where people where's a dude walking around in a suit. So. Oh wow. Now I can't complain because I you know it'd be it'd be harsh for me to sit here and say, oh I can't stand it when they make all these CGI creatures and. Everything else, and then they get back to old school special effects with a guy walking around in a <laughs> some kind of suit. But uh, you know, it, the movie's just not good. I mean, it's really boring. Uh, Foresight's fine in it, but it's just you know he's the only one in the film that's really of any consequence and and, and any good really. And it's just it's really boring. But it does sound like a good idea, you know, set a horror film on an old rig. I mean, you know, that's very you know it's a solitary environment. You know, with only a few people on it and stuff. Sounds like a great idea, but unfortunately. It does. It's, it sounds great. Yeah, they missed the boat on that one. No pun intended. Yeah, no pun intended. <laughs> I watched, uh, on, uh, yeah, as always. It's funny. I, I never really noticed how many documentaries I watch. I watch a lot of documentaries. I think the reason why I do that is because I always feel like with fiction or fictional films, I have to really give my attention so much. But it's mm-hmm. funny because you have to give just as much attention to documentaries. <laughs> but some, I think, it's funny you say that, Max. I was thinking about this week because I was trying to do some paperwork and listen to a documentary. And there's some you can kind of get away with listening to because they're they're narrated well enough um, that it's more about the information than the visual. Uh-huh. Um, like you said, but you can kind of do things and watch them. But yeah, some you got to pay attention or you're going to be really scratching your head, man. Yeah. So I watched uh, one last night uh, on Hulu, which is a service we have here called, uh, and it's going to be on Netflix. Since I don't know about Netflix in Canada, but it's going to be on Netflix since this week. Uh, but it's been uh, been around for a while. The Cropsy one. It's called Cropsy. Oh yeah. I watched that one. Uh, it's pretty good. I mean, it's 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 not. It's only a little bit about the actual Cropsy myth. It's more about these filmmakers uh, growing up in you know. In Staten Island, they they talked about the Cropsey myth and everything else, but instead of really dealing with the actual myth of the Cropsey, uh, they really kind of are dealing with you know an actual real crime that took place on Staten Island. So it kind of it's a real crime documentary. There's not a lot of there's not a lot of facts. It's a lot of circumstantial evidence, so you don't really know which way to lean. Uh, so it's kind of it's kind of up in the air, but it's good, not great. Uh, I was kind of I kind of had high hopes for it, but it, it's not really great. But on the other hand, I did f- uh, have one great film watching experience this week. I watched uh, Winter's Bone, which oh, yes. uh, was really really good. Uh, uh, it, arguably, it'll probably be on my top ten list for the year. I mean, of course, I don't know the year's not over, but uh, it really is a fantastic movie, and I did say fantastic. It is it is great, uh, great performances, uh, well made. It's not over long. Uh, it's it, it's got everything going for it. It's got a good sense of dread to it, good sense of uh, atmosphere, which is what we, you know we'll talk a lot about atmosphere on the show today. I guarantee you that. And uh, it's just it's really really good. I can't recommend it enough, and I hope everybody uh, checks it out. It should be out on DVD at this point, I believe. So definitely check it out. Get into it. I know you're going to check it out soon, so I'll be interested to hear what you think of it. Yeah, the, just this week is tight, man. Actually, I got to go back to work tomorrow. So Ouch. me and the wife are. We were going to go tomorrow night, but instead, I'll give you one guess what 3D film we're going to see tonight. Uh, I'm going to guess uh, Johnny Wad in 3D, the remastered version. <laughs> Close. The Owls of Galhul or whatever the fuck it's not. <laughs> yeah. uh, good old Johnny Knoxville in the yeah. gang. Yes, yes. <laughs> Too- <laughs> And I, I have no comment. I mean, I think everybody knows how I feel about Jackass. So, yeah. Yes. <laughs> See, again, man, you and I talked about this. People always think we we agree. Our reputations precede us in that department. Yes, yes. You know, I think I think if we picked more new films, 
I think if we covered more new films on this show, I think we'd get a lot more disagreement. Mm. I think the thing is that we actually pick the content, and because we do that, I think sometimes we pick stuff. It's like, oh, I wonder if Will's ever seen this because I think he'd dig it. Yeah, 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 exactly. So I think that's why we come off like that. But hey, that's the way it is. You know, there's plenty of shows that cover the new films, and we cover a new one occasionally. I mean, we're doing the doing the horde next week, so so we cover newer stuff sometimes. So although we like to squat down beside each other and dump on new <laughs> stuff, though, <laughs> yeah. yeah, we do like to do that too. <laughs> well, next week we'll be doing Avatar. <laughs> yes. And Max Payne. Yeah. Ooh, of. ooh. Yeah. That's a that's a good double bill. That'd yes. be that'd be like uh, I would dread that. I I guarantee you I wouldn't watch either one of those films until the day before <laughs> the show for sure. And I it would be it would be painful. I would put those off so long. <laughs> Talk about cinematic X lax man. Jesus. All right. So uh, that is what we've been watching. We're going to take a break and then we'll come back and uh, we'll do Maniac first. Let's do Maniac first. Let's do it. All right. We'll be back right. After this. Are you looking for a way to connect with people who like the things that you like? Whether it's music, movies, TV, or whatever you're into, head on over to the Palaver.com forums. <clears throat> yes, but forums and message boards are elitist and archaic. Well, yeah, maybe if you're an asshole. Palaver.com is home to all your favorite podcasts. So why not head over there now? Start talking about all the things you want to talk about. That's palaver.com. P-A-L-A-V-R.com. Sixteen Corners track of the week there, so a little. Uh, I think it's uh, Curly Moore and the Cool Ones. Have I got that right? I is it Curly believe... Moore? Yeah, it's Curly Moore and the Cool Ones. And I believe the track is called uh, Funky Yeah. And I gotta say, man, I I sent him a message, Larry, a message back saying that if I had to have a band play behind me as I strutted down the street, yeah. this song would be in contention, man. Nice That's a hot slice right there, man. Strutting down Canada, blue jean jacket and jeans. You got it, man. Canadian tuxedo rolled out. Good Coffee go, in one hand, donut in the other. A Dutchie in one hand, Tim <laughs> oh, yeah. Hortons cup in the other. <laughs> yes, a Dutchie. There we go. <laughs> and a Tim Hortons cup. <laughs> and, and a Dutchie is not the Jamaican version of a Dutchie. <laughs> yes. uh, it is the Canadian version, which is quite tasty. <laughs> Although some would argue the Jamaican version is quite tasty, yes. too. But uh, Yeah. Pulled a duchy right before we got on air. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right, so our first film we were talking about today, Maniac from 1980. So uh, you want to synopsize, give a little bit of background for Maniac, and we'll get talking about it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Maniac is a slasher film. I guess, yeah, it's really a slasher film. Um, essentially, essentially, it's a slasher film, basically. Essentially, it is. I mean, it it as you'll hear in our review, it breaks out a lot of the, the usual kind of uh, beats the slasher films fall into. Uh, 1980, directed by one William Lustig, whose previous career had included porn, and he's gone on, of course, to be the man behind Blue Underground. Um, Let's see here. It just says, a schizoid serial killer randomly stalks and kills various young women in New York. 
what she sees as revenge for the mistreatment he got while being raised by his own abusive mother. Uh, and that pretty much does summarize it. Yeah, um, that pretty much does. So, uh, yeah, uh, I picked this film because, as I've said, full disclosure, it's my favorite slasher film of all. Uh, one of my favorite horror films. Um, I know you dig it too, but let's uh, let's hear what you thought. All right. So, yeah, William Lustig. Uh, it's funny. I always thought William Lustig has directed more films than he actually has directed. Yeah, he did the Maniac Cop trilogy, which is on the roadmap at some point for us to cover. Oh, yeah. Uh, he did some other stuff too. And there's a, actually, we're going to. We're going to end up covering almost most of his films <laughs> somehow, some way. We're going to, you know, because we got Vigilante on the, uh, although we won't be doing the violation of Claudia and or no. or Hot Honey, but uh, you know, no, his his early efforts. Yeah, Jamie Gillis and Herschel Savage films. We won't be doing. <laughs> and in the name Herschel Savage, say all what it is. Certainly. <laughs> yeah. Well, Jamie Gillis, I think he just died recently. I think or something like that. Not too long ago. Seems like Doc Zom sent an email or something about Jamie Gillis. I don't know. I think it's a he. I hope it's a he, or else I'm lost in my porn panache. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, uh, Lustig has directed a few interesting movies. Uh, this is probably, yeah, I'd say this is probably when you talk about his filmography. This is probably his strongest film through and through. Uh, yeah, I'd say it is probably. And uh, it's it's an infamous film. Uh, it got a lot of heat when it came out uh, for a being a lot of heat, man, for being uh, misogynist and and blah blah blah. Which you know at the time maybe I could understand. Of course now I don't understand. I just love that cover for Vigilante, the Blue Underground cover. It's fucking amazing. It is uh, a great cover. Even this one has a great cover, and it should be said, of course, Eli Roth uh, snagged uh, or was influenced by this cover. It's got the guy with. Yeah. With the fucking heart on, with the woman's head in his hand, I can see why in 1980 yeah. that would be a little bit of uh, cause yeah. a bit of an uproar. I mean, it's it's very sleazy, and the movie's very sleazy, and and it's very much you know uh, inspired by you know I know Glustig was a big uh, 42nd Street guy. He hung out in that area. You know, he's from New York. He, you know, he he uh, he's from the Bronx, and uh, he's actually the nephew of Jake Lamada. For those who don't know, oh wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, he's actually Jake Lamada's nephew. So, uh, you know, I mean, he's very New York, to say the least. And, uh, you know, he he, he really kind of grabbed everything that was around him and uh, kind of put it into this movie. Now, it was kind of a mixture of, uh, or a confluence, so to speak. Confluence, uh, a fancy word. Of, uh, you know, like when the rivers mix. Uh, <laughs> of uh, of uh, artistic, uh, I don't know what the word I'm looking for there is, but they, they, him and Spinell hit each other right at the right time. Uh, Spinell had some good ideas about what he wanted to do, and Lustig had some ideas about what he wanted to do, and and they hit each other right at the right time, and they worked together really well in this film, and became good friends. Synergy, maybe synergy yeah. they had. I don't know. Yeah, they just they just ran right into each other right at the right time. I mean, it's just one of those things. And uh, you know, I mean, some people do that, and it comes out you know Mean Streets, and other people do that, and it comes out Maniac. So that's just the way it goes. Um, so the film opens with some nice uh, day for night shooting, uh, a little bit uh, on the on the shore there. <laughs> A little nice stuff. Uh, has an interesting feel to it. Day, day for Night always has an interesting feel to it. Sometimes it can be really, really bad. And then sometimes it can be okay. It's okay in this... I think in this instance, it's okay. It works okay. Oh, yeah. I think so, too. It almost gives it this weird kind of betwixt in between. It's not quite day, not quite night. It it works almost... Yeah, it works really well because the film has, at times, a, a surreal kind of feel. So it, it definitely adds that early on. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's got some... You know, it, it is a... It is a slasher. Let me let me kind of say this. You know, it, it's kind of in that group, but I would also argue it's in that really other weird group of. Uh, it's almost like um, 
Well, I mean, certainly Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer owes a lot to Maniac. Uh, Maniac's a little bit more stylized, I think. Henry Henry seems to be a little bit more... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Maybe a little bit more realistic, I guess? It's just, yeah, very kind of almost, almost documentary or very yeah. straightforward. And also Angst, another one that you're going to hear me yeah. talk about again and again till everyone sees it. Yeah, yeah. It owes, I think, a lot to this film with... With the voice in the head and the, you know. Yeah, well, I mean, the, these, these films belong to a genre that's a little different than horror films. And it's it's almost like a, it's almost like a downtrodden genre of uh, kind of, and, and it's not a bad thing. I mean, if you're in the mood for that kind of stuff, it's fun. Like, I mean, I enjoyed rewatching Maniac this time. I mean, I had a good time. Uh, but it's not, <laughs> I mean, it's not, uh, you know, it's not beer and popcorn movie. Well, actually, you know what, for me it is, but, uh, for us, but for most, it, yeah, it certainly wouldn't be, but yeah, this, this was a time, man. I mean, this was a, a pretty grim time in America. And I think a lot of that is reflected in, in even great genre stuff like this. And New York city was at its fucking sleaziest. Yeah. Yeah. Sleazy. <laughs> I mean, I was thinking about this as I was watching this thing, to, to cut you off, how many great, great New York films came out um, in that 10-year span between 70 and 80 or yeah. right in around there. I mean, you know, it just, it's fantastic. And this, I think, really is in that uh, that canon. Uh-huh. I saw this film when I was really young. So uh, that was a, that was a bizarre experience. I saw it at a drive-in. We went to a, we went to a drive-in and uh, it was probably 81, 82. And it had been out for a while. But, uh, you know, that, like I told you before, you used to go to these drive-in, these horrid, triple bills and uh it was on one of the triple bills and uh we saw it and i remember as, as a kid thinking wow this movie's really weird that's what i remember thinking uh, it didn't really bother me so much it just made me i just thought it was really weird because it was totally different than a lot of the horror films they were making at the time right and it was you know nobody nobody was really wearing a mask or anything and it just felt weird and of course now as i get older i realize that it feels weird because it's it's a little as opposed to most of your quote unquote slasher films, it, it, it feels very realistic in some ways. I mean, up to a point. I mean, obviously, it does become a film at some point, but it does feel very realistic. And there's a lot of stalking in the movie, which was something I wasn't really accustomed to as a young man watching movies. I didn't even know what stalking was until I got to be a teenager. You know, I don't know what the hell that means. Uh, you know, and then I became a stalker. No, <laughs> no. Well, you no, know, but you bring up a good point. The thing that I, one of the main reasons I like this film so much is how different it is to a lot of uh, slasher films. And and I mean, just that it it it's in a city. It's not in like the woods. It's yeah. not some yeah. masked supernatural fucking unstoppable man. I mean, you could argue it's, that the city is the woods, basically, for the film. I mean, because you got the tall yeah. buildings, tall trees. I mean. It's the same scenario in some ways, but yeah, you're right. I mean, it, it has a totally different feel because it's it's very urban, and of course, it captures New York in a very special time. Uh, of course, you know, people who lived in New York at the time probably didn't think it was that special, but uh, you know, that New York in some ways doesn't exist anymore. Some parts of it, so in some parts, I bet some some I don't go to them anymore, but I'm sure they probably do exist. But mm-hmm. it's a special kind of you know, it's almost like it's almost like Scorsese made a horror film, a sleazy horror film in a way. Not to say that Lustig and Scorsese are similar. But well, uh, it, it it has it has that it, for me it kind of has that almost Mean Streets feel. Oh well, I'll tell you more than Mean Streets. What it reminds me of in Scorsese's work is Taxi Driver. This is yeah, like the, yeah. the even more deranged, even darker cousin of, of yeah. Taxi Driver. Actually, you make a good point. I was thinking about that because Spinell's in Taxi Driver briefly. Yep. And I was thinking about Taxi Driver while I was watching this. I was thinking about Spinell's career. Uh-huh. And some of the weird movies he was in, but he's been in some of the great movies of all time. He's in the, but he's in the Godfather, right? He's in the Godfather. He was in the Godfather. He was in Rocky one and two. He was in Cruising. Um, Spinell to me is almost like again, uh, we just had the darker 
little bit more off-kilter cousin of Taxi Driver. He's almost a darker off-kilter cousin of John Cazale in that real New York character actor that did a lot of great films that loved what he did and died younger than he should have. I mean, look at the, look at let's just for a quick second look at Spinell's uh, the Seven Ups, Godfather, Rancho Deluxe, Godfather Two, uh, Taxi Driver, Rocky, The Sorcerer or Sorcerer, mm-hmm. I should say, Winter Kills, uh, Cruising, Maniac, Ninth Configuration, Nighthawks, yeah. Night Shift. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <coughs> Vigilante. I mean, this guy, you know, he he had a lot of passion in what he did, man, and, and it shows in the films he picked. Yeah, and I don't know if we've, we've we've talked about him before, but I can't remember what we talked about him before. And did we cover film that he was in? Uh, I think he's just come up as one of those great faces, one of those great character actors that both of us really love. I, yeah. I don't know if he's, he's I think ever I've, come up. I think, no, maybe I just mentioned to you, to you off the air that actually in real life, for those who don't know, Joe Spinell and Special Sloan were like best friends. Oh, you did tell me that, and I didn't know that. That's yeah. right. Yeah, they were like best friends. So uh, it's very interesting uh, when you think about that. Well, oh, yeah. He was in uh, he was in Losing It, the uh, Tom one of Tom Cruise's very early films. Which I kind of enjoy and wouldn't mind covering on the show. Tom Cruise, Jackie O'Haley, good stuff. Oh, nice! I've never seen that one. I think the earliest one I've seen I've seen of uh, was All the Right Moves before Risky Business. Uh, yeah, they were all kind of, All the Right Moves, Risky Business, and Losing It were all kind of like really close together. Yeah, because All the Right Moves then was probably the earliest Cruise uh, I've seen. The interesting thing about Losing It is it's you know it's basically a teen comedy going down to Tijuana to lose your virginity, but it's directed by one Curtis Hansen. <laughs> Who oh, wow. will go on to become, you know, pretty popular. So but anyway, uh back to the film in general. Yeah, we we could talk about Spinell. We'll talk about him a little bit more. I'll let you talk a little bit more about him as as we go along. Carolyn Monroe's in the film. They actually brought her in because I believe I believe the uh it was originally Daria Nicoldi was actually cast to play that part. No way. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't I knew that. And uh it didn't work out. And so they ended up bringing Monroe in, which actually worked out to Lustig's and Spinell's uh, benefit because uh, Monroe's white husband wife <laughs> was uh, uh, had a little bit of money, so he was able to give him a little bit more money to finish the project off and stuff. And Carolyn Monroe, she's interesting. I don't really think she's a good actress, but no. she, she's just got this kind of unique look to her. It's, it's it's the eyes, and she's very pretty, and she looks like a high society kind of just what she plays here, like a high society kind of uh, you know model type, but without being or right, appearing right. distant or cold. Right, right. And she's got this, you know, really full hair, and uh, you know, it's always had those kind of, <laughs> kind of whitish or blonde streaks in it. That's kind of became her thing after a while. I don't know if that was natural or if that was just her choice. I have to believe it is natural some ways. So, but yeah, she's very infamously known among genre fans. Uh, the, oh, yeah. mu- the music in the film, Jay Chataway. Now he's not talked about much. Now Jay Chataway mostly is known nowadays uh, for you know Star Trek fans. He's worked on almost all the new Star Trek shows. Uh, I think every one of them actually doing music for him. Um, but the music to this film, you know, going back and revisiting it, this is one of those situations where I realized very quickly that the music to Maniac is as important to Maniac as the music to Halloween is to Halloween. Mm-hmm. I never really thought about it before, but the music in Maniac is really bizarre. They use some sound effects and some really strange stings and stuff to kind of get you in the mood, but it really, really, really puts you in the atmosphere of the movie. It puts you inside Spinell's character's head. And, Absolutely, uh, and the kind of Absolutely. the kind of walking he does, and I love his, uh, you know, that that kind of flak jacket he wears with the collar up and the sunglasses. I just love that. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's really great, and of course he's got the hat on. My son had a hat on like that this weekend, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, he is a maniac. Trust me, uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, he's a. 
uh, well, oh yeah, Jay Chadwick. But I think he's the kind of like the unsung hero of this film because you know it's easy. To, we can talk about Lustig and Spinell all day long. Uh, but Jay Chadwick, the music in this film, I was really, really great to go back and and just hear this score and think, wow, you know, I never really thought about it before because I haven't seen this movie and probably I don't remember what I told you last night, but I, I know I probably haven't watched it. I'd say roughly in maybe ten years. I haven't seen Maniac. I mean, I think I watched it back in the early days of DVD again. And obviously back in the tape trading days, you know, because this was not easily available to rent in some stores. So, Oh, I can imagine. This is kind of infamous, but good stuff. Okay, the makeup. Uh, you got Tom Savini in here with his assistant, a guy named Rob Bottin. You might have heard of him. Yes, two of the, truly the greats yes. uh, in yes. the industry. Yes. Uh, how about those uh, purple hot shorts, man? I have to believe. Uh, I haven't seen shorts like that since Tiff 09 when we went Dutch and saw the screening of Air Doll, you know? So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true, man. Lycra's, uh, that is some hot Lycra, man. It's uh, quite impressive, man. What was the song they were playing? Uh, she's, what is it? She's Hunting? What is it? Fuck it. How did it go? I can't remember now. No, those were some nice shorts, boy. And and thankfully, those who haven't seen it, it's not Spinel wearing them, thankfully. <laughs> yeah, thankfully, yes. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. What an image. Yeah, that would be rough. Uh... <laughs> yeah. That, now, you know what I'm talking about, poorly packed suitcases. That's what that would look like. <laughs> yeah. Mashed potatoes falling out of there. But anyway, yeah, it's good stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah, I had to think about that, those purple hot shorts, man. I was like, yeah, it's like what we wore when we went to see Airdale, huh? That's right. Well, you know, you know I'm a big fan of Mania. I didn't tell you then, but that was uh, why, you know, at the well, end, I'm holding, banging them up like, guess yeah. what we're wearing? Yeah. And they zip in the back. I was like, well, Will, you know, you're going to have to zip me up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah man. <laughs> no, but uh, in all honesty, yeah, I love seeing those things. I love seeing those. And I think Carol Moreau, at one point, she's doing a photo shoot. She's got some uh, some hot pants on, too. I miss hot pants. Uh, you know, I miss those. Uh, I know they're Lycra and, and other materials, and, and they had an actual name, but I think I always called them hot pants when I was a kid because they had this, you know, kind of sleek look. And, of course, they're really tight, almost the precursor to spandex, you know. So, very nice. And she's got some black ones on, and Carol Monroe has a nice figure. So, it was nice to see that. Oh, yeah. Um, let's see. Okay, let me go through my notes here. Uh, now, this film, I had a hard time finding, uh, and I'll get to it when we get to it, but I think there might be one scene we might agree on as the make or break. I don't know. We'll see when we get there. But there's so many great scenes in this movie. There's uh, uh, a great shotgun scene. That's all I'll say. Uh, those who know the film know it. Uh uh, there's a great graveyard scene, which very Italian in nature, by the way, very, oh, yeah. uh, very, uh, giallo-esque, uh, very Argento-esque in a lot of ways and Fulci-esque because, uh, somebody was blowing some serious smoke machines. I thought about that. <laughs> you want to talk about it goes from like evening to like nighttime with a whole lot of Fulci fog, man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, great. Uh, the apartment scene with the model that he's oh. uh, kind of watching. There's, there's, there's great scenes with that. I mean, there's so many great moments in the movie um and i saw on my i think on my facebook page cody was saying you know he likes it but he feels like he kind of gets a little it kind of gets a little loose at the end i can understand that argument i can i can totally understand it i think it holds together pretty well uh it does kind of cross a boundary at some point uh into kind of a different type of feel but you know i i kind of like that it did that i mean it it, because you know it kind of takes it kind of takes some of the uh, kind of downtroddenness out of it and turns it more back into a horror film again. Because for a long time, it's it's a horror film, obviously, but it's it's a very like I said before, it's very it's very sad in some ways. Uh, 
uh, I laugh, but I mean, it is. I mean, it's very. It's, it's a very negative movie in some ways. I mean, very. Oh yeah. Real and, and you know, and I know Spinell did a lot of research. Uh, he really wanted to uh, talk about the abusive, ch- abused uh, children who become these kind of guys and stuff. And at the time, 1980, you know, a lot of people weren't talking about abused kids. Uh, you know, nowadays, anytime we see a movie and if they need backstory for a character, it's an abused kid. Jesus Christ, I can't even think of. I mean, I think of so many movies nowadays that have to give you these backstories, and of course, they always have to explain to you that the kid was abused. And you know, the abused abused kids is no laughing matter. Don't get me wrong, but you know, now I think uh, filmmakers and screenwriters use it as a crutch to explain evil. Whereas yeah. back then, I don't think that's what it was doing. I think it was uh, he was trying to explain that not only is it evil so much, but he's just he's a broken person, mm-hmm. completely broken. As a matter of fact, and uh, I think it kind of comes through in his performance. Now, <clears throat> Spinell's always been a great character actor, but uh, this might be his his best full performance, I guess. Uh, oh, for sure. Overall, I mean, I guess it's his. Uh, what do you want to say? I guess it's his Taxi Driver, maybe his his Raging Bull. Absolutely. Something like that. So uh, you know, I mean, it is what it is. But uh, and it, again, I'll say, I think it's definitely. I, I mean, I love Maniac Cop. And I love Vigilante and some of Lustig's other stuff. I fucking hate Uncle Sam. It had so much promise, but it's not good. Never seen it. Uh, but uh, it's it's certainly one of Lustig's. If not his best film, it's got to be close to his best film. It's I, th- I think it's his masterpiece, basically. So I really don't have much more to add. I'll let you jump into it a little bit. Okay. Um, let's dust double notes. That wouldn't make much sense right now. Um so I do want to say, too, I don't have Blu-ray, as most of you know. I'm still running a tube TV. I'm waiting for it to die a, <laughs> die a death. And once it does, then I'm going to roll into the, uh, the wonderful world of high definition. But, um, but, you're gonna, but you're, well, I'm going to have to say, though, you're going to be very lucky because you're going to run into high definition at a lower price than most of us. A lot of us invested quite a few dollars in high definition, which might sound like, you know, you might be envious of us, but I'm going to be more envious of you because you're going to be able to do it probably all for under 500 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty insane. I'll tell you one thing, and, and you know, I'm sure we have some people that are AV people, or maybe that's not the right term, but they're home theater kind of people. And maybe you'd know this, even Sammy. I've been I've been really mulling it over, man, because I was like, I'm just going to cave in and get a cheap one. Do you know how good the Vizios have been, man? Because they don't have them up here. I think they just got them up here recently. Uh, Vizios. The only thing about Vizios is they kind of have a history. I mean, basically, they're sold through Walmart. They're kind of cheaply built and stuff. But everybody I know that has one, uh, the picture's fine on them. I, I think they're. They're an, uh, an, a great first step for somebody on a budget. That, okay. That's my so, opinion. I mean, you know, obviously you're probably going to want another TV at some point, but oh yeah. But okay. hey, I mean, you know, it is what it is. I think they're a great first investment though for somebody who wants to get into HD. But then again, when I get one, uh, I just hope. I mean, if the, I'll tell you this: if this TV lasts more than two more years, I'm saying, <laughs> sorry, man, I'm fucking uh, throwing you in with the mothballs. But, but anyway, the reason I mention all this is um, Maniac just put out their Blu-ray. Maniac Blue Underground just put out the Blu-ray for yes, Maniac. <laughs> uh, seven hours of features. Uh, it's like fifty gigs worth of yeah. worth of stuff. It's just insane. Um, and I got to say, man, Blue Underground, I tip my hat to you because even the standard definition DVD I have has a fifty. That's five zero fifty minute documentary on Joe Spinell. Yep. It has radio spots. It has posters. Mm-hmm. This is a company that that understands their product and understands and has a, a reverence for the films it puts out. So this is how you do a genre film properly. Yeah, uh, Blue Underground is a company for movie buffs. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's, yeah. The, there's only a few of those out there, uh, DVD labels like that, but Blue Underground is one of the best, no doubt. 
Absolutely. Um, so the thing I like about this film a lot is, as we kind of already touched on this, this isn't a masked cartoon. This is a real man with real serious fucking problems. Yeah, um, he's got a few issues. He's got a few, and like I said, he to me is like that that darker, more insane Travis Bickle. Um, you know, he just had given into the dark side, or just yeah, insane man. Um, you mentioned the score uh, with uh, was it Chataway or yeah, Jay Chataway, Jay Chataway. Great score, great dread. The film, the score is great because it goes between some really great dark synthy stuff, and synthy stuff can seem dated and cheesy, but yeah. it works really well here. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's mixed in with, like you said, an eclectic mix of stuff, including some stuff that uh, certainly was was intentionally out of tune or off key. Well, yeah, um, I actually read Lustig. With, I read an interview with Lustig, and he said that uh, Jay Chataway and him didn't really know how to score a movie. They didn't know anything about it, so they just kind of thought they just put in what what sounded cool to them so there's no there's no method to their madness they didn't even really know how to do it so i think sometimes when you don't know stuff you kind of it's kind of like the the old adage you know you don't know how to swim so just jump in the water and you'll figure it out i think that's what happened there i think they just jumped in and you know it kind of came out pretty cool well they figured it out and like i said i think it matches certainly the uh, the schizophrenic nature yeah. of uh, Spinell's character, mm-hmm. um, and it, it does a really great job between the music and just the, the setups. All of the kills have this this great ratcheting up, this dread, um, right from the beach kills right forward. Yeah. Um, you yeah. know, really great stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love you know uh, you'll hear me talk about it later on. I love Spinell's apartment. It's got. If anyone who hasn't seen Maniac, it's almost like that candled room in Carrie that um, yeah. Carrie's mother has. It's, yeah. it's sort of like that, except this shrines to Spinell's Jesus, which is his mother. Yeah, or I guess in Mother Mary, you know, the yeah. whole Catholic thing, right? Is uh, is what was his walls were purple, weren't they? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sitting there thinking yeah. about that purple walls. It's is interesting. I just read the Blu-ray has a pretty good interview with the the production designer, the set designer who designed his room because. His room is really fascinating. There's a lot of mannequins. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of art, whether it's um, magazine clippings or sculptures, stuff that has been broken. It's like broken people. Yeah. Uh, it's really it's it's creepy, and it's also I think an insight into him as a person, a right. fractured mind. What's that uh, that book that came out that our gentle broken mirrors, broken minds? It's kind of like that. It, it, that's really what it is. Um, and yeah, this film does really feel like to me. Maybe the most pure mix of European and American horror sensibilities. Yeah, yeah, definitely some. Uh, especially if you're into like the Italian horror films, uh, mm-hmm. definitely you got the Italian horror film slash uh, '70s grindhouse American films. I mean, and maybe a little bit of the Filipino stuff in there. It's <laughs> it's all it's all mixed in. Uh, like I say, into this confluence, like Three Rivers, like Three River Stadium where the Steelers play. It's like all three rivers are coming together. Yes. Uh, <laughs> or it used um, to be called Three River Stadium. My bad. It's called Heinz Field now. Heinz Field now. That's right. And we're showing our age. By, uh, yeah, we are. <laughs> Three River Stadium. Jesus. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, this is the Spinell show with all due respect to Chataway and Savini and Lustig. Yeah. Uh, Spinell served as, he wrote the screenplay, uh, came up with the story, executive produced it, starred in it. You know, it just, it really is his, uh, his thing, his, his baby. Um, I love when we see him cruising around. Aviators. You know, movies like this, movies like Cruising, films at the time, the late 70s, early 80s, when, when Aviators were really in, I love Aviators. Uh, I still wear them, as I've said before, but yep. uh, 
I think they work great in films like this because aviators are big enough that they they almost work as a mask. You know, they, they it's like this expressionless thing. Like, you know, they hide the brows, they hide the eyes. You can't see any any expression through that, and, and they kind of give you that that mask, that creepy kind of right lack of emotion. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. They they and they give you a little bit of a reflective surface too. You had to be a pretty uh, astute filmmaker to use aviators because uh, they could reflect the camera crew if they weren't careful. Yeah, no, for sure. The uh, for it's sure. odd. I can't believe we're covering this on that day, on the actual day that the Blu-ray comes out. I just noticed that. It comes yeah, out, Tuesday. It I comes guess out, that's right. Comes out today. That's good, man. <laughs> I'm glad it kind of worked out though. Serendipitous. Yeah. Um, you know, even with the second kill when it's uh, it's in the hotel with the hooker. Again, the dread's great because it's like every aggressive sexual move he makes, we're expecting the worst, but it just leads into more like in a kiss and this and that and. Mm-hmm. Again, we always talk about how difficult it is to manufacture dread, but they do a great job, especially considering all Lustig had done before this was porn. Yeah. He knew yeah. about manufacturing something, but not uh, yeah. not dread. Well, in some ways, uh, Maniac feels like a porn movie in some ways. I mean, uh, I've seen a lot of porn from the late 70s, mid-70s, and into the 80s, and uh, in some ways, it feels like a little bit of a porn movie. I mean, I'm not saying, you know, obviously there's no, well, there is penetration. It's a different type of penetration, but... In some ways, some of the ways he shoots films uh, or shoots this film, uh, these kind of flat, uh, static shots, some of them, uh, they feel very porn-esque. So I can see where a little bit of that was coming and then some of his other influences were coming in with it. So, But it is impressive to go from porn to maniac. I mean, uh, you know, I'm not saying there, there are talented people in the porn industry making movies. Oh, for sure. But, Especially at that time. Yeah. But, um, you know, you know, unfortunately, those, a lot of those guys don't get to work. And, and regular films, but back then, you know, it was a little bit easier to cross over, I think. Yeah, because exploitation, it was just kind of like the the gateway into uh, legitimate film, quote-unquote. Right. Um, I love the, the POV, or not the, yeah, I get the POV from the victim. Uh, it's You got that sweaty, wide-eyed spinel on top of her. <laughs> One of the most hideous images <laughs> ever, ever in cinema. Uh, Joe, when I was a kid, I'll be honest with you, when I was a kid, Joe Spinell scared me. Yeah, well, he, he's not an attractive. Let's let's be honest. He he wasn't. Playgirl wasn't knocking down his door. No, he he had uh, he wore his hair very unkept. Uh, he had that little that sleazy ass mustache. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe one of the sleaziest mustache wearers ever. You know, <laughs> it it wasn't the full Sam Elliott or the Nero or any of these kind of guys. This was the sweet uh, kind of the sleazy Guido type mustache. <laughs> oh yeah. In fact, someone on our Facebook said. Uh, they felt bad for Carolyn Monroe because of how that mustache must have smelled. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you know, but in real life, Joe Spinell thought he was a regular ladies' man. So you know. well, I'll tell you, you know, when he when we see um, the mask he puts on, mm-hmm. figuratively speaking, of course, with the models and stuff, he is charming. He's very charming. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and that's kind of a testament to him here. Um, as you see, as I go on, but I saw but yeah, that. I, mean, I saw that documentary. That documentary that's on this disc. I saw that, and uh, there's a lot of him talking behind the scenes and stuff. And he's a very, actually, a very, very charming guy. Oh, absolutely. He loved to say um, "darling." He loved to call everybody "darling," even dudes. Oh yeah, no, so. he's, he's very charismatic. That's why he got to where he was. Man, it wasn't because yeah. he was yeah. a hunk. It was yeah. because he had so much charisma. Well, in um, all honesty, I mean, look at. To, to kind of take it to another, think about Sylvester Stallone. Sylvester Stallone is not your, you know, that's his best friend, but think about him too. This is a time in Hollywood when we didn't, you know, we Sylvester Stallone eventually became kind of like a prototypical hunk. Mm-hmm. But in the beginning, Sylvester Stallone was not a hunk. Uh, 
but uh, he kind of became that. And I, I think that's one of the things we miss about these character actors like Spinell and these guys, man. I mean, Spinell would have been great if he was still around. I could Coen's. see that the Coen brothers. Yeah, I could totally see him with the Coen brothers. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, there's some pretty, I got to say, man, this film really brings the gore. Like, it's pretty nasty in spots and it's realistic. Like, yeah, I don't think I'm giving anything away here. There, there's a lot of scalpings in this film. Yes. Um, it's pretty nasty stuff, especially that first scalping is fucking brutal. Yeah, for as much as I, you know, Avi personally can't get, you know, don't really care for Savini. I mean, I, every time I look at him, I always think about, you know, when I go to these conventions, I see him in almost every one I go to. And uh, I always think to myself, that guy's a douchebag, but man, uh, or he can be a douchebag. I'm not going to say he's an actual douchebag. He can be a douchebag, but, uh, you know, the guy, you know, he's very influential on my life. I mean, he did some of the greatest prosthetic effects of all time. Yeah, th- and this some people would say it is is his high water mark. This film, it's up there. It's definitely up there. Yeah, it, it's really impressive stuff. Um, I love interesting looking at the apartment again of Spinell when he goes home after he kind of the from the high of the kill and he comes home and I love that the pinups behind his bed, all of the female pinups that he has, the genitalia or the private areas are scratched out, the breasts and the, yeah. the vagina. Yeah. I've never said vagina on the show. I'm so used to saying <laughs> pussy or. Punani or something else. Um, or cunt. Or cunt, yeah. But uh, <laughs> I figured I'd, I'd remove a little sodium from uh, the morning. Uh, but uh, but anyway, it's interesting. The genitals are all scratched out of these things. You know, very telling. Again, just a, something that you maybe wouldn't even pick up on. But if you do, it adds another little layer, like an onion. Oh, yeah. To him yeah. and his motivation. And then like like, times, <laughs> like Spinell's mustache, the onion. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, this film feels very tactile in spots. Like there's... That moment when he gets home and he's got that brown paper bag, yeah, and he opens the brown paper bag and he and then it's like this a plastic bag. It's like the that kind of bag you'd pick up like goldfish in, yeah. And he, he pulls the scalp out of there. Ah, oh, it's disgusting. It's just disgusting. And he puts it on the bald head on the mannequin and he nails it in. And it's just you but, kind of feel the sensation of it. It's just yeah, it's yeah. Gross, man. I was thinking to myself, I think he nails it in with like a thumbtack type thing, something like that. Yeah. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself. I can almost feel what it's like to stick that nail into that flesh by watching that scene. Like, you know, if you've ever, all of the meat eaters, have, those of us who eat meat, uh, you know, we've tenderized meat and stuff. As you know, meat can be pretty tough. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm sitting there thinking to myself, I wonder what, and, I, and because of the way they shot it and the tactile nature you're talking about, I can almost feel that tack or that nail going into that mannequin, but going through that flesh to get there. Yeah, and you can almost hear it and almost feel like the sliminess on the other side of the uh, the scalp. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, in, in retrospect, as an older man, how must that apartment smell? Uh, I thought that too, man. <laughs> I thought, Jesus, this man must, like, it just yeah, the smell must have been, because he's got about seven to ten scalps in various states of decomposition. Yeah, and never, for- never mind, even if they weren't there, he's uh-huh. probably not much of a high karate or <laughs> or old uh, old spice kind of guy. Yeah, yeah, well, he'd have to be though because I mean that those that flesh uh, it would start stinking pretty quick. Oh yeah, and he's sleeping beside it. It's just yeah, it's great. But you know, another thing I love about this film is the fact that most times when we get a slasher film, they get their signature weapon, the, the machete uh, yes. with Jason or. <laughs> I mean, Jason, of course, freewheeled and improvised, but <laughs> yeah. I love in this film, most times it's blunt force or it's, it's pointed weapons, edge, edge weapons. I love that he uses a gun in this film. Yeah. I also, it, <laughs> it has that wild card kind of element to it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love that. I love he, the preparation scene is pretty awesome, especially with he uh, grabs the Cracker Jacks. 
Oh, that's a fantastic scene. It's like the camera was laid on the bed, uh-huh. and all they had was the, the gun case and yeah. his hands and a box of Cracker Jacks <laughs> yeah. in the background, and he's disassembling the rifle. He's putting it in the case, eating a few Cracker Jacks. It's a great moment, and it's shot really well. And then Reminds me of, of like course, a Robert Rodriguez moment. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. And, and then you know, that, of course, leads to the whole Disco Boy, Savini. It's probably the signature moment from the film. It's, it's, it's like you said, maybe, I don't think you had too much argument, maybe the greatest headshot in the history of cinema yeah yeah uh, it's not a spoiler so we can say you know it's a it's a shotgun to the head scene uh, yeah it, it, it's it's like and, and i'll tell you that that moment is fantastic because you see two people making out in a car and uh, the lights you know he's there but one of the people doesn't know he's there the lights come on in the car and you see spinel hunkered over in the fog, when the lights hit him, yeah, it runs up onto the hood of the car. Yeah, because inside the car, we're shooting a Lustig movie, but outside the car, we're shooting a Fulci, baby. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly, man. But it's just a great moment. Um, I'm, I'm still laughing at us, uh, to, to your comment way earlier when you said Jason likes to free will and improvise. I'm sitting there just laughing about the idea that this, <laughs> this, this slasher character free wills. He's oh, like, yeah, hey, man. He is. He's like the Pistol Pete of slashers, man. <laughs> he is. <laughs> You know, we think of him more as like a Lambeer type, but yeah. uh, make no mistake. Yeah, man. if I'm doing a basketball team full of uh, slashers, Jason's definitely running point. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. But you'd think he'd be like an Oakley or like down low in the post, banging with the boys. But no, like, he can freewheel, man. Or like a Magic Johnson, man. He's like a yeah, six, yeah, like six good call, man. He's like the Magic Johnson. <laughs> exactly, man. Oh, exactly. Man. Well said. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, you get... Okay, do you remember the moment in um, what? I wonder what came. What year did Dress to Kill come out? Um, eighty one, eighty two. I think it was. Was it? Wasn't it eighty? Might have been eighty. Might have been eighty. I'll look it up while you're talking about. Okay, whatever it came out, whether it was before or after, there's an absolutely fantastic uh, sequence where Spinell's stalking a woman on a subway at the subway station, oh, yeah. and it reminds me of the more intense, sleazier cousin of that museum cat and mouse thing in. Um, in uh, Dress to Kill. It's kind of got that giallo feel. And, yeah. and then you get that frantic kind of whip away, claustrophobic close-ups of the woman being chased. And then yeah. you contrast that with kind of like that steady glide when it's the point of view from Spinell's character. Same uh, same year, 1980. Okay, so the, there you go. But they, they kind of are reminiscent. And again, it's it's I shouldn't shouldn't be any uh, surprise because, of course, De Palma also liked giallos quite a bit. Um, you know what I love about well, that subway scene? I love the when she looks back up the stairs and we do the jump cuts to the feet. Oh yeah, and they oh, do the yeah. they do the jump cut thing in here a couple of times, and I think it's pretty great. Oh no, they do for sure. Um, you know what's great about this film too? Again, I, I keep talking because I want to bang on the merits of it and what I think, why I think it stands above and beyond. Because just the gore would have been enough to kind of put it in the pantheon for some people. One that pairs up with the romantic interest of the final girl. Nope. Um, the cinematic conventions are all broken away, and it, it, that's why I said it feels very European and American in sense. The brutality of American with the stylish, surreal nature of an Italian film. Um, Monroe wears red leather pants. I did have to get that in there. Yeah. Do you know the, uh, I don't know if you know this or not, a uh, little bit of trivia that I know, that the one of the cops that come in at the very toward the very end of the movie is Randy Jurgensen. Now, Randy Jurgensen is the uh, cop that they based uh, Cruising on. I did know that. I'd forgotten about it, but I remember when I'd either, I'd read that somewhere or heard it maybe in the documentary for Spinell. I remember reading that now. That's a very interesting. Uh, yeah. That whole circle, that New York at the time, I mean, it's it's just great, man. Um, I like when we finally start to see Zito as a normal person when he gets in, kind of in 
in the the world of Carolyn Monroe and the models and stuff. It's oh, interesting yeah. again. It shows the, the how, how easily he shifts between how he can put on that mask. It's like you think he's just going to be like just a crumbling mess, and he's able to pull it together and and put on this mask of, of normalcy and and very charming. Like I said, yeah, yeah, it's really weird. He goes from this character that we see because they establish Spinell the murderer. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's kind of like the opposite of what you're supposed to do. You're kind of like supposed to set up the character as like the normal guy first mm -hmm. and then show like the dark side. But they show the dark side for like the first half of the movie and then we get the normal charming side. Which flips away. I mean, like you yep. just said, it flips away from the normal way you do it. Where, as, as you said a couple of weeks ago, it flips the script, yo. It does flip the script, man. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love uh, I love the, the little bit with, um, with Spinell talking to Monroe. It's almost like a philosophical thing about about uh, people in pictures being frozen in time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Again, yeah. just it, it's something you don't normally get in a slasher film. Normally it's tits and kind of running around and, you know, shenanigans. Um, and I love Spinell's little nod to, uh, of course, another great New York actor. And in fact, in fact, now that I think about it, the film is from, it's almost like he, he's openly acknowledging that this is his taxi driver. When he, I think he, he either said it to Monroe or he's joking and he goes, you talking to me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, it's just great. Um, one of the most chilling lines in the film with one of his victims, he's talking to her and he's kind of got this like hushed tone. He's like, no, no, yeah. I'm not going to kill you. I'm going to keep you. <laughs> yeah. So you'll never go away. Yeah. And it's like, oh, my God, like just send chills down your spine, man. <laughs> yeah. It's brutal. And then, you know, it's just, yeah, wow. It's... Uh, you know, I, I could talk about this film much longer. I'm going to cut out, just jump, you know, into one or two more notes, and then we'll get off of it. I love the end though, as the mannequins uh, are all zoomed in and out, in and out, and it's kind of off balance, and yeah, and we see that Frank's tenuous grip on reality is completely, completely shattered. And yeah, I'd say that climax scene, not to give anything away, but I say that's also probably that's probably the second most infamous makeup moment in the film. Oh yeah, and it's reminiscent of a Romero film. Yes, very reminiscent. Uh, another thing Savini was involved in. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do want to say the only critique I have of this film is literally the last shot of the film. Yes. Annoyed me. I think maybe that's what Cody meant because otherwise the end is fine with me because it's him further losing his mind. Well, I think uh, maybe Cody was talking about, I think maybe he's talking about maybe, I'm thinking. The cemetery sequence? And, and on. Yeah. Okay. I, could, the, I could see where that would sour something. Because it does feel like a little bit of a different movie from the Cemetery Secrets yeah. on. Because now you're delving into Spinell's character. Yeah, his mind. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so, you know, it gets a little De Palma-esque, so to speak. Very De Palma-esque, actually, in one aspect. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, and very Fulci-esque and everything else. But, it, you know, I think it's supposed to kind of signal his kind of loss of uh, reality for his own mind. So, uh I think it works in that regard. I think it's supposed mm -hmm. to kind of show you that he, you know, he's slipping. He's already oh, yeah. he's already crazy, but now he's now he's slipping for himself. Oh, exactly. That's probably the thing that makes serial killers more scary than anything is that they uh, they might think they're doing something wrong, but uh, they can justify it somehow. Yep. Until they lose their grip, which you know, so. I almost feel like with him, it's not even so much a justification as much as it's this delusion because of abuse. Yeah. Because you get that moment early on where he, it's great. It kind of sets everything up. He takes his shirt off and you see all the scars from abuse he has on yeah, him. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, right. but it's, yeah, no, you're right. I love that in films when it's like there, there's no moral compass, whether it's through delusionment or justification. Uh -huh. yeah. yeah, yeah, 
absolutely. But uh, I'll uh, kick it over to you for make or breaks, MVTs, etc. Okay, so MVT, even though I did say this is uh, Lustig's uh, masterpiece, probably, I can't give it to Lustig in this regard because I do feel more like it is Spinell. And, you know, this is Lustig's first regular fictional film or feature film. Uh, I feel like Spinell was very influential in the movie, and it is a hell of a performance. Uh, it's a lot of fun. I mean, uh, it's not a <laughs> it's not a happy-go-lucky movie, uh, even though I posted that it was a pleasant Sunday afternoon viewing. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, 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 it does speak to, uh, you know, a certain aspect of culture that, you know, none of us really want to talk about, and it's pretty realistic in that way. So I found it very interesting. So I'm going to give it to Spinell. Great performance. Uh, he's involved in it behind the scenes and everything else. It's definitely, it seemed, if he was still around, I bet he'd probably call it his baby. Uh, make or break. I'm going to go with uh, the shotgun scene, uh, that whole sequence. The stalking of uh, Savini, the disco, uh, the disco, <laughs> disco bandit. Boy. Yeah, he's, he's got it going on there. Yeah, uh, yeah I'm going to go with that scene because that whole moment, that's pretty great. I mean, right, really, you can go from like the Cracker Jack preparation scene all the way into the payoff, and it's pretty fantastic. You could pick about anywhere from probably five to eight different scenes. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, most slashers have their kills, right? That's their moments, and uh, this one has... Uh, great not only kills but great stalking scenes too so it kind of mixes both of them together but there's like four or five of them in here that are pretty damn good and uh, the subway the the apartment uh, there's so many i don't even want to talk the about mo- them all. The motel yeah. yeah there's so many so it's it's really hard to, it's really hard to pick one but i'm gonna go with the shotgun scene because it is infamous i think the great thing about it is it's the slow-mo it's the way he jumps up on the hood of the car uh very agile mr spinell was Cat-like. Yeah, cat-like, and jumps up there. And, and, and also, I think what the great thing about it is is that Lustig lingers on the meat and juiciness of this explosion. Oh, yeah. Uh, because uh, there was another pretty great explosion in uh, the you know the Prowler. We talked about that one a little bit, I think, and uh, uh, that was Savini as well. And, uh, you know, but this one, there's, there's, just, there's almost like a pornographic lingering on this head exploding. So it's pretty, oh, yeah. pretty great. It's the money shot, baby. Uh, my score for the film, I'm going to give this an 8.5 out of 10. I think this is, uh, this is when it comes to horror films, uh, you know, <laughs> there's very few, in my opinion, there's very few nines and tens in horror film world. I mean, I think... I, I agree with you on that. Yeah, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a tricky genre and stuff. And I think it's hard for me to get this up to a nine because probably I'd give like The Shining like a nine. And that's like one of my favorites. Maybe Halloween would maybe be a nine, maybe. Uh, so, I mean, for me, though, this is just as important as those films. Uh, oddly, I think The Shining came out in 1980 as well. Um, but it's very important, and it's definitely one of the best of the uh, late Grindhouse movies. Uh, oh, yeah. It came out in 1980, but I would totally, it totally feels like a 70s movie. Totally. All right. So that's my thoughts on Maniac. Very nice. Very nice. Uh, my make or break, what made it for me were the scenes in the apartment. Um, okay. Because it really kind of it, it adds that layer um, as opposed to just stock and stock and stock. And like you said, like we said, all the kills are great. Not only with the payoffs, but the dread that, that leads up to them. Yep. Um, but just the stuff in the apartments to me was the creepiest because we kind of see inside the mind yeah. of, uh, of Frank Zito, mm-hmm. uh, the Joe, Joe Smell's character, Frank Zito. Uh, MVT, yeah, I mean, th- this really is a case where as much as a lot of great people did great work, um, it is the Joe Spinell show. Yes. You know, this guy, if he wasn't going to be able to get a lead role because the way he looked, he was going to do it himself. And he did here. And it's, it's a, just an incredible, incredible job. Yeah. Uh, one of the, I think I mentioned this when someone asked, I think this is one of the absolutely top five, top 10 greatest performances in a horror film. Yes. I, I have to agree with that. Yes. 
Yeah, and I agree with you, man. It's interesting. As much as we both love horror, there's that ceiling where you know anything above eight's hard to come by in horror, man. I mean, it yeah. really is. I think if we're gonna look at it and. You know, like you said, you get some examples where they're up there. You know, Martyrs is for me um, up, up, you know, in the nine range. Uh, I think it's something else that's really, really. I think I get. I think I don't remember thing. what I. Got. I don't remember what I gave Martyrs. Uh, but yeah, all those films you're talking about, I don't even know if any of those I would go above nine. The thing, uh, even the thing, I think I, I love it, but uh, I don't know if I could go above nine on it. But nine's awful high, man. <laughs> nine is. I think I'd go with a nine for the thing, probably. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it, for me, but you know, it's again, it's it's my favorite. But again, like you said, I agree. There's that ceiling that's it's tough to fucking get through that ceiling. It is. It really is. In I horror, mean, man, not not to d- diminish the genre. I mean, we both love it, but yes. let's let's call a spade a spade. It's you know, yeah. it's it's tough. But with that being said, my score for the film is actually a little bit lower than yours. It's an eight point two five. Nice out of ten. Um, I mean, not nice, but hey, I was kind of surprised <laughs> by that. I thought maybe you go. I thought maybe you go eight point seven five to nine. That's what I was thinking. Oh yeah, no, no. I, you know, it, I don't know why, man. But like you said, I, I, it, it's like I can't find any fault with the film, but I still feel like it has its limitations a little bit as a genre. Yeah, you know what I mean. Um, but if you're a horror fan and you've not checked this out, I, I don't think either one of us can recommend it highly enough, man. I'm fucking fantastic. Yeah, that's good stuff. Good stuff. All right, so that is our review of William Lessig's Maniac. We're gonna take a break and we're gonna come back and talk about Richard Stanley's Dust Devil. So we'll be back right after this. Hey, I didn't see you there. Now, if you're listening to this podcast, you're obviously a man or woman of great, distinguished taste. You obviously like informed opinion, entertaining chat, all that other kind of bullshit that you want in your ears. Well, here's some more for you. Why not take a chance on Cinerama? Because with Cinerama, you'll never, ever, ever, ever lose. Packed with news, reviews, movie monkey madness marathons and other assorted paraphernalia of awesomeness, listening to Cinerama is statistically proven to make your life at least 6.5% better. It might not sound like a lot, but after you try it, you'll see the difference. The Cinerama difference. You can find Cinerama on iTunes or at cinerama.podomatic.com. Stay classy, you lovely fuckers. I'm going to climb that off my desk, man. I'm wearing the blue off my je- my Daisy Duke jean shorts here. Nice. Don't lie. You know they're Lycra. Anyway. <laughs> and I got to thank Tim for that. Uh, Ghetto Tim sent me that check. That, you know, that's that's Miles Davis's second wife, Betty Davis, man. Nice. nice. I saw Betty Davis when you said it to me, and I thought, oh, wow, is this Betty Davis eyes? <laughs> Little Kim Carnes? Yeah, no kidding, man. <laughs> 
and then I heard it and I was like, oh yeah, I know this track. It's good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah, uh, Tim and I have very similar taste in music. Uh, in, in that we're all over the roadmap. Uh, we'll listen to death metal and then go all the way back to some country music. So it's it's all oh, yeah. over the place. That's the way to be, man. Yeah. Hey, before we jump into Sam, I hate to interrupt. There's one more thing I wanted to mention that was of interest, I think, to everyone and us uh, regarding Maniac. Um, you know, there's a remake uh, in the works. That is interesting. Uh, no, I and did not. I did not know that actually. You get one guess who you think is circling around remaking it. <laughs> Michael Bay. Thankfully, not. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll tell you what the taste because I want to give uh, Devil Dust Devil its, its due as well. The Devil its due. And this is heartbreaking. No matter how good it turns out, I'm disappointed that he's decided to go with another remake. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. You know who I'm going to mention. The French, uh, the remake king at this point. (laughs) Yeah. Fucking Alex Aja, man. Come on, man. I don't care how good this is going to be. Get off the fucking remakes. Do something original, man. I'm starting to wonder if he has anything original left in him. Maybe not, man. It's really sad. Maybe he blew his load, man. It's really sad. Maybe he blew his load. I mean, I I know that's a terrible thing to think about, but it's it's possible it might have happened. Shame. Either yes. way, I mean, I you know I liked, I liked Piranha 3D a lot. So I mean, I'll probably enjoy. Or well, I'm not gonna say I enjoy it because I never saw Mirrors, so I don't know about that one. But I did like the Hills Have Eyes remake and and uh, Piranha 3D. So you know, as much as I would like to see him do some original too, I'll probably check it out. Uh, you know, it's a shame. Get on, get on some new stuff there, Mister uh, Asha. All right. Yes. Dust Devil, 1992, directed by one Richard Stanley. Uh, very, very much so has a cult following, Mr. Stanley. Uh, everybody that loves Richard Stanley movies wishes he would make more movies. Uh, he uh, hasn't made a whole lot. He had a really bad experience making the island, or beginning the making of the island of Dr. Moreau. Uh, it got really bad for him, so he, he walked away. But supposedly he is making movies again. He has been making documentary stuff, but supposedly he's making movies again. So we'll get to see some more stuff, because I think he's got a very talented eye. But anyway... Uh, here we go. Dust Devil. This is actually a good synopsis because I think it gives you just enough. A woman on the run from her abusive husband encounters a mysterious hitchhiker. Boom. Done. Uh, I had seen this movie a long time ago. I own the five disc special edition. Uh, I enjoy it quite thoroughly. I wanted to see what Large William thought about it. He'd never seen it. Let's do it. All right. Let's get into it. This was my first Richard Stanley film. This is a name I knew. I just, I'd heard over and over, being a genre fan, the circles we run in, I knew the name, I knew, you know, I have hardware, actually, I have the, the new one that came out, uh, Mike, who was on our show for the My Buddy Valentine episode, got it for me for my birthday. Oh, yes. Um, I actually own it on VHS as well, and I've always thought it looks like fucking Timothy Dalton on the cover for some reason. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why. It's really strange. Look at those eyes. It looks like Timothy Dalton. But um, anyway, I, I'm really glad you picked this, man, because it was, uh, you know, as much as I was familiar with the name, I wasn't f- familiar with uh, his work in terms of seeing it. And, uh, right, right. And I also now wish uh, Richard Stanley made more films. Um, the thing that I find so, I think, wasn't this film, there's a lot of censorship. I, I know there's been about so many cuts to this film. The poor guy, mm-hmm. there was at one point when I think, of course, the Weinsteins had had it cut down to a 68-minute cut. Yeah. he uh, He's had a lot of trouble with everybody when it comes to his films. I don't know why it is. I mean, it's not like he, this the, the version you watched is his is his cut. It's the it's the quote unquote final cut. It what, is, an hour and forty seven minutes, I yeah, believe. It is his, that is the final cut. And so uh I don't know if you saw anything in there that uh, deserved to be cut, uh as far as No, nothing, man. I mean it, it all it, there's nothing that felt flabby in this. Yeah, yeah. So I I don't understand what happened, but he's always had issues with uh producers and <laughs> I mean there's just no way other way to put it. He's always had issues. I mean 
This, I wonder if it's because he's a foreigner. He's a South African guy. Do you think that, I mean, not specifically there, but because he's on the other side of the universe as far as Hollywood goes, do you think maybe that's part of the reason for the roadblocks? I think he might just be a very strongly opinionated filmmaker, like a Terry Gilliam or somebody. I thought of Gilliam when I was thinking about the struggles with Stanley. Yeah, I mean, as much as, like, some people, like like Emily talks about how she don't like Gilliam's films. Understood. understood. I totally understand when people don't like Gilliam movies, but... Uh, you know, Terry's he, Gilliam is he's one of those kind of filmmakers who, you know, he stands, he sticks by his guns. And even if he knows it's it's going to stink, he doesn't care. He sticks by it. So, mm-hmm. you know, you got to admire somebody like that because that's, you know, really what what it's all comes down to. I mean, you know, <laughs> he could have just give he could just give in because I think, you know, not to get on Terry Gilliam thing. I think he could be a hell of a commercial filmmaker easily. Yep. But he chooses to be Terry Gilliam. I agree, man. It's uh, the conviction to stick with what he believes is right. He'll go down with the ship, which is, is certainly not admirable, which, you know, Stanley's obviously. And I'm glad now that he's finally, you know, he this, this version has come out. Yeah. Um, yeah. The film opens, and this film, you know, obviously has a very spaghetti western feel uh, <laughs> yeah. in spots. Um, the credits opening up, those yellow credits, looks very, very spaghetti western. You get those... Those landscapes, the South African. I'll tell you, man. If, if a few if a few spaghetti westerns had been shot in South Africa, it would have been interesting, man. Because they got some pretty fantastic landscapes there too. I agree. I agree. It's uh, it's really needs to be utilized. You got to, you know, even Australia, like um, Hillco did with the proposition. You got some landscapes there that just add so much production value. I guess it's it's getting the casting crew over there. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You know, but uh, really great. Um, and I mean, you can kind of tell right away that this film it's kind of got this red orange sun like hue and. It just—it's got a real off-kilter kind of dream feel right away, and and not all the time it doesn't, but it it has a mystical, mythical feel uh, to the film, magic, and and that stuff's all talked about in the film. I think they do a great job of giving you that vibe. Right yeah, away. I think it's—I wrote down one of my notes. The narration it gives it a—it almost gives it a fairy tale quality. Yeah, yeah, it does. It totally does. Um, and you know, one of the first scenes we see is uh, is the uh, Robert John Burke character. These are these are a couple faces that you may have seen. Uh, that being Robert John Burke and of course Chelsea Field, who's married to, uh, of course, the hunk from Quantum Leap, Scott Bakula. They have a couple kids together. So. <laughs> yeah, I always like Chelsea Field. I thought she's a although her South African accent in this is pretty. Uh, it comes and goes. <laughs> There's t- I got to be honest, and I may look like a chump for saying this, but I didn't know that she wasn't. And same with. Um, and then what's his name? You know, it's crazy, man. William Hootkins, who played Captain Bayman, the uh, South African. Yeah. Um, man, I didn't know, other than obviously Burke, who's not trying to do a, a South African accent. I thought everyone was. So, yeah. you know, but. Hootkins you know, uh, yeah. is a pretty popular character actor. He died, unfortunately, kind of. Uh, well, yeah, kind of young. I can say the older I get, the younger he seems when he died. But uh, he was in a lot of. If you look through his filmography, you're talking about a guy that's been in a lot of movies. Oh, I did. He was. And you know what? Uh, you know, big. You know, actually, he he's been in a few of the biggest films of all time: Star Wars, Raider of the Lost Ark, Batman. He's the really fat guy in the X-wing. Uh, yeah, yeah, Porkins, in, uh, Porkins. Oh yeah, yeah. There you go. So I mean, <laughs> but in this, he's unrecognizable. And I, I thought he did a really good accent. Again, I'm no expert. Yeah. Um, but you know, sometimes you hear like a Brad Pitt Irish accent, and you know it sounds bad. Whereas, yeah, yeah. you know, for the most part, thing. Hookins, uh, his accent comes and goes a little bit, but it's a lot better than Chelsea Fields. Chelsea Fields kind of comes and goes when. She has to say certain words, but hey, it's 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 still not bad. I mean, South African accents are kind of tricky. Be honest with you, they are. It's a very interesting accent. I was talking about it with my wife because she watched it with me. She actually kind of dug it, which was cool. You um, think about uh, DiCaprio and and uh, what's that movie called? What was that movie oh, called? That was, that was a bad South African accent. Blood Diamond. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> that was a bad accent, but it is a kind of a fun little quirky accent because my wife goes. It's like she goes. 
it's and and of course she meant this in the context of from a Western accent, like a North American accent. She goes, it's like they're talking in a normal American or Canadian accent, and all of a sudden they just decide to spin a word or jazz the word up a bit. And, yeah, yeah, you know, it's and got everything a little, else, little zip, a little zip yeah, to the little, word, little pizzazz on one word in the sentence. Yeah. Um, the film. Okay, so we get that first scene where the woman's neck gets snapped and the whole ceremony and stuff. And I thought, man, that's a lot of fucking blood. And <laughs> yeah. you know, it's just it's, it looks great because we kind of see this this whole ceremony that he does. And I think we well, we see the after effects. It should be said. And I love that. I think that gives more weight than having to see the whole you know the whole messy affair. And yeah. We just yeah. see all these these drawings on the walls and blood and everything else. And I love the whole sequence. Uh, everything the hitchhiker sequence from that. The it's very sexual anyway. I mean, there's a sex scene there, but I just love the kind of seduction of him and and her. She kind of seduces him too, and it's just really great. They're very sweaty. You know, this is a very sweaty. People are wet in this movie. Oh yeah, they absolutely are <laughs> in more ways um, than one. Obviously. <laughs> so. Oh yes, that's a lot of fluids. <laughs> Uh, I think there's there's it's certainly a great intentional shot when he after he's done what he did in the house the first house he comes out onto the porch and he stands right between a pair of horns <laughs> yeah yeah I love like, that I love that <laughs> really good he, I think he had a cigarette or something but I got to say man Richard John Burke I think you know I have to think that when Stanley made this film he wanted to have that shape of of um, Clint uh, yeah. in Clint spaghetti westerns because. The way Burke stands when he's standing still, he kind of has his one hip out a little bit, almost like Clint did. Yeah. The face, and he's almost got like that young Henry Fonda or the Clint Eastwood stuff, even so much as his voice a little bit sounds a little bit Clint-like to me. Yeah. Robert John Burke is, he's interesting. I've always thought he's a actor who should get more work. Yeah. He, uh, he's got a great face, uh, especially as he's gotten older. He's, uh, he's 50 now, I think, 50-something. He looks like a better-looking version of Roy Scheider, almost. Yeah, yeah. And I've always thought he should get more work because he's he's got a great face. He's very manly in a lot of ways. I mean, I just always felt like he's like he's like one of those. You know, we talk about those guys who should be action stars or bigger stars. He's he's one I think who should be better. He was in that uh, horror film, uh, Stephen King horror film, Thinner. I think Tom Holland did. He was pretty good in that. He's in Copland. I liked him in Copland. Who was he in Cobbling? Was he um, was he De Niro's? Uh, no, he was uh, he was just an officer. He he unfortunately he ends up in a lot of movies where he just he plays a character. I mean, he just plays like a background character, and it's kind of a shame. Oh, he played uh, Frank McClory in Tombstone, Heaven and Earth. He's done uh, a lot of. Uh, actually, he took over. Interestingly, I've never seen RoboCop three, but he took over for um, yeah, pa- uh, for Robert Patrick for Peter Weller. In, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, RoboCop three. So yeah, I know. if we ever do the RoboCop trilogy, which I hope we will do at some point in time, we'll get to talk about him as RoboCop. But yeah, he, I mean, of course, you know, he's RoboCop. It's not really like you know, unless you had to take the helmet off, not really can't tell. But I mean, he he's a good actor, and it's really just a shame uh, he's made some bad movies. But he's got a great face and a great presence on screen. He should be in more movies, I think. Oh yeah, no, for sure, for sure. Um, I love you know when that that room's on fire when he sets it on fire. That's great, man. And you know, we were talking about that, like the heat and the the, the hypnotic nature of the flames, and yeah. and then there's that great shot where the camera pulls up and on this country home and it's on fire. But we see how desolate it is, and I think that kind of indicates to us that you know when someone's going to get in trouble in this film, they're not going to be in New York City or Paris. I mean, they're fucking on their own here. I mean, they're either going to get out of it through luck or they're not getting out of it. Right. Right, and that uh, I have to think that whoever was shooting that fire, had, I hope that they just had a camera on and they walked away because it had to have been hot. I know. I always think about that when we look at films that are a little bit older when there's fire involved. Um, the score for me, 
it is really uneven. There's times where it's fantastic, where they put in some some uh, traditional African music and and some other music. But there's times like the whistling that's that it's, it's almost meant to be like a spaghetti western whistle is really lame. It, it's really a lame whistle. Yeah, are you talking? Are, are, are you there, 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 there's one thing that's kind of interesting. They add they add uh, whale singing uh, to the theme because whenever Zach Smokey, who's a very popular African character actor. Uh, the tech, the, basically the detective. He was in The Serpent mm-hmm. and the Rainbow and a bunch of other movies. Uh, there's a scene with him where he's like sawing off a shotgun. He's looking at some whale slaughter, which is just vicious. It's it was awful. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, don't ever watch The Cove, then, man. Don't ever watch that. Yeah, I know. Uh, it, it's it's pretty awful stuff. But they use that whale singing, which is really just kind of creepy and weird. It's a weird idea to use whale singing in the middle of a desert. I don't know if that's what you're talking about, but I do know what you're talking about. It is uneven. It's good in spots and then not so good in other spots. No, there was actually whistling. Like, okay, like yeah. It was now actually like supposed to be like a spaghetti western whistle, but it sounded cheap and synthy. <laughs> yeah. It's like, and that's the thing that was weird because there's times when it's a great kind of quirky squirt. Other times when it's it's very, very lame, but it's, uh, yeah. But um, the thing that kind of made that first killing so so chilling is when uh, okay goes to um, the coroner. And uh, he talks about the, the one, the woman, the coroner talks to him and says that this woman, there was strangulation, sexual mutilation, cannibalism, potentially um, the remains of a clock stuffed inside her. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, wow. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And uh, and then she goes on to say that they sh- they're showing her the pictures of the, the scene of the crime. And, and the woman, the coroner says, well, he had to have used other materials from her body beyond the blood to make those pictures. She's, and I love that moment man, where she goes... Well, she goes. Look at the colors here. Because of the way this color is, he he used her fat in in the the you know the mixing of the his paint, so to speak. Yeah. I really like that. I thought that was a really cool kind of technical, morbid kind of technical detail that that adds a lot to his character, but just kind of adds that a really great kind of procedural element to it. Well, what it really does is you never really have to set up anymore after that. You never really have to set up what he does to his victims. You never have to set it up anymore because now you just basically said, you know. So, because there's never really anything else like that throughout the rest of the movie, in some ways. So, no. I think that they set it up pretty good, so you know what kind of person, quote unquote, this dust devil is. And it's also smart because you you do that once, and if you do it well enough, that's going to carry you well enough that you don't need to spend money doing it over and over again. Yeah, exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the touch with the Polaroids he takes of all of his his victims. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really like the, that, man. Where it goes uh, to a negative effect. Like a film negative effect where it goes to the black yeah. and white. That's really great. They're really great, man. Um, and you know what? The, the I guess another line through these two films is I think they're they're influenced by Italian horror films. And there's an again an out and out Italian film reference. I really love this. This was my wife could care less about this line, but I, I geeked out when um, yeah uh, Mokay is is talking about when he worked at the drive-in and he goes and they <laughs> and they aired Bird with the Crystal Plumage back to back with Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires and yeah. that's a total film geek moment. But I was just geeked out at that man. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty I'm great. Like, oh, I'm like, oh babe, babe, those are Gentle's first job. Oh, oh, oh. it's like, oh wow, <laughs> yeah, big no, deal, big deal. Um, I love the bar scene between Hootkins and Moke. I think it's a fantastic scene that it's a local watering hole, but it, and as much as it has a very South African feel, or what I would perceive to be South African, um, it also feels very universal because it's like the superior officer and the, the, the mutual admiration of, of policemen who are friends and uh, coworkers um, kind of trading stories and stuff. And, and uh, I just, I really liked that, man. I thought it was a great scene. Yeah. 
It is. It is really good. And uh, there's 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 a lot of good moments between uh, Mokay and uh, other characters in the movie. I mean, Mokay, he's, he's always he's got this really weird look to him. So he's always been kind of. It's like it's like Stanley. It's like uh, it's almost like you know, like with the Spinel thing. It's almost like you know, Lustig giving Spinel the spotlight, and it's like Stanley gave Mokay the spotlight. So he's always a character actor, and this I feel like he's he's as much the star as anybody else in the movie. Absolutely, he's fantastic in this film and has uh, a warmth and a humanity. And clearly, he's seen some dark things in his life, and it's mm-hmm. also touched on in the film. Yeah. Uh, but I think he 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 very much seems like a good guy. I couldn't see him as a bad guy. Not to say he wouldn't be capable. He's a very talented actor, but I think he's one of those people that just naturally feels where there's a warmth to him and a humanity to him. Yeah. Um, yeah. We kind of get that recurring motif of people witnessing the world's brutality through television. Um, I don't know if he was trying to say that people tend to be observers as opposed to, uh, uh, you know, act on things uh, to make change like the, the apartheid stuff and yeah. and the, the the whale slaughter and stuff. We see the, all these things that we're bearing witness to just kind of casually. Um, yeah. yeah. You do which I think he's a good enough filmmaker that if that was what he was saying, then you know I could see it. Um, uh, and you know what's great, man? I don't know if it was if it was uh, who it was, <laughs> fucking Buck Owens or it was Hank or, Williams. Or, That's Hank Williams. Hank, I was gonna say or Hank Williams, man, because there's a great that great song, that great moment where he's dancing, uh, yeah. where um, the Dust Devils <laughs> dancing outside the the watering hole uh-huh. with the uh, fields, and I just love that, man. It, it was a great twangy kind of piece of music that yeah. fit him very well with the film. Ramblin' Man, that's the name of that track. Yeah, really good stuff, man. Uh, and it looked great too, man, with all those lights that were hanging, like it, uh, it yeah, looked fantastic. It did. Um, the blood tears. There's a dream sequence Mokay has with some some tears of blood. Uh, really great. You know, worked really well. And I noticed there's a lot of times in this film to give it kind of like this weird kind of sickly supernatural feel. They kind of use a lot of green and purple lighting in this. Yeah, yeah. You know, they use a lot of a lot of harsh colors in this. I thought you'd probably like it quite a bit because of the colors. Uh, it's a very colorful movie, even though it is set in this drab kind of uh, reddish area uh he manages somehow some way to work a lot of color into the movie which if if this film was made today they would use that fucking bleached out effect that every post-apocalyptic movie has yes they definitely you know that would be it man yeah uh i'll tell you man i i touched on this when we talked about what we've been watching but it's a shame to me that more films don't come out of places like jamaica and africa that are as accessible as uh this is because when I watch that movie Rockers or when I watch The Heart of They Come or when I watch anything from a place that I really don't have that much familiarity with beyond being able to paint with a broad brush, yep. I find it – there's just a built-in fascination with the societal stuff, the cultural stuff, the landscape. I just – I find it so interesting to see these really great backdrops for films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, oh, this, just, shot, this shot and obviously in South Africa and uh, Nambia, Nambia, I believe, uh, so – yeah, I mean, it's something you just don't see in cinema that often, and and it looks great. And, of course, you know, it comes from the perspective of, uh, you know, a South African filmmaker, and it's very accessible, like you say. And it is a shame there isn't more of this kind of stuff accessible to film fans. Yeah, like I wish, like, you know, some of these um, these di- South African diamond moguls, I wish one of them had an artist's heart, man, would would fund, you know, because these guys are putting together billion-dollar resorts in the Bahamas and everything else. Put some money into your local arts, man, and, and let's let's promote South African film or right. you know Jamaican film, whatever, man. Because I want to see some more great stuff come out of these places where you have so much great cinematic kind of production value with just natural settings with your country. Um, 
there's a shot, there's a sequence in this that no way would have been proud of. There's this kind of great overhead rotating camera during a, a scene. Uh, it's it's poised. <laughs> yeah. What was the term? Poised coital? Coital? Yeah, coital, or, yeah. Uh, or coitus, whatever it is. And whereas no way would do use it during uh, the sex scene, of course. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, and he would actually be inside the vagina probably. <laughs> yeah, we get the money shot. Like we get facial like we didn't enter the void. Um Oh. But yeah, the, the Polaroids I talked about, and there's a great payoff with them where there's the discovery of the stack of the Polaroids and the box of fingers and stuff. And, you know, talk about talk, the scalps would stink and those fingers would stink. Oh, yeah. Well, he puts them on ice, but uh, at the same time, though, you know, ice melts. <laughs> yeah, it certainly does. Um, I love the quote uh, that the desktop says, me says, I'm from the other side of the mirror. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah, it's really great, man. A great scene where you can see, you feel like he's trying to get into the mirror. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. pretty great. And, and and some of the effects are a little bit wonky, a little bit. If I'm going to critique anything, um, but all in all, quite well done. Um, and I love that that, that lineup with the mirror because it's almost like, um, you know, I don't know if it, I'm sure at least some of our listeners have done this. Maybe you have to. Sam, you ever look in a mirror, just stare at it for long enough when you your face. Do, it, it, this is going to sound bizarre to people who haven't done this, but you stare into a mirror for so long, like five minutes or so, and your eyes start to glaze a little bit. It almost looks like it's not your face that you're looking back at. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, I've stared at myself a little bit in the past, and <laughs> yeah, no, I, I can understand what you're saying. Right. So I like that that line, kind of. It's it's like he's looking at something not quite what he is, and it's great. But uh, you know, there's that moment near the end. It's kind of like that showdown, and it's Leone meets Cronenberg. I mean, you get the extreme <laughs> eyes close up, and then yeah. some pretty great head splatter, and it's it's really like someone dropped a pumpkin from like the 19th floor of an apartment building onto the pavement. Oh, I know it, man. That is, she's a she's a crack shot, but not only that, man, that was a hell of a blast. Wow. Yeah, that's a serious blast, <laughs> and uh, I really dug the ending, man. I, I didn't see it going where it went. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty great. So good stuff. But th- those are my notes, man. I'll, I'll kick it over to you. All right, uh, I'll talk a little bit about it. Uh, talk a little bit more about the cut now. The final cut is uh, Stanley's kind of go back and re-edit. Now he originally did turn in like a two-hour plus cut uh, that I think he was sticking to. So he kind of changed some things too for the final cut. So obviously, you know, like most artists, he changed things. Uh, luckily, he didn't add any. Uh, x-wing fighters or anything like some artists do how, how many cuts are there out there on your five disc sets i mean how many cuts are on that set i got a work print cut and i got uh, the final cut but i don't have some of these other cuts that existed uh there's a <laughs> i'm looking down here at technical specs i have the work print version it's 115 minutes but it was a little messed up in spots so there was no point in us doing that one and i wanted to do the final cut which is what we watched which is uh about right uh but there's a uh, Final cut that we watched was 108 minutes. The director's cut was 103. Work print version was 115. The Italian version is 87. The France French version is 87. And God knows what other versions there are out there. So it's one of those movies, you know. It's kind of you know been cut up and butchered and everything. But from what we, from what I understand, Stanley is he's stuck on this cut. This is the cut. So that's the one I wanted to review. And this isn't even the one I saw on VHS. I think the one I saw on VHS was longer. It was a two hour one. Oh, wow. So, because I remember some things that aren't in this movie. But either way, I think this one is a little bit leaner, and it's it's perfect in, uh, in a lot of ways. And, I mean, not a perfect film, obviously, but I think for what it is, it's it, it tells its story rather rather efficiently. Whereas I felt yeah, it doesn't like, overstay its welcome at yeah, all. Yeah, because I felt like the one I saw originally, when I first saw it, I can still remember thinking, eh, it kind of kind of meanders. So, you know, but now it doesn't seem like it's a little bit more lean. 
Um, yeah, we'll be getting more stuff from Stanley. That's good news. Uh, I'm, I'm happy about it, even though one of his films coming out stars Dean Kane. A little nervous about that. Uh, we'll see what happens. Maybe he can make Dean Kane a star. I don't know. <laughs> make him into a literal Superman this yeah. time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I did like Chelsea Field. Uh, she's she's good in it. Uh, she'll be in some other films we're going to cover, including one that I want to keep top secret, but uh, uh, Rupert sent it to me a long time ago. Um Atmosphere, you know, atmosphere in movies is so difficult to come by. It's really funny to me. I always think about Kubrick and some of these other filmmakers we talk about and we revere and stuff. And it's something that's lost. I was talking to you on the phone the other day about how there's not really good filmmakers nowadays making thrillers. You're right. That the thriller has kind of died a little bit. You kind of disappeared a little bit. You turned down a little bit or something? Yes, I did. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> I yeah. didn't turn back up. And so you go, you're right. Very, very faintly. <laughs> Sorry, I, did, I wasn't whispering. I was more emphatic than that low voice would have you. Uh... <laughs> but how the filmmakers nowadays, a lot of them too don't know how to really kind of create atmosphere. They don't take the time to establish uh, surroundings. And uh, it's really a shame. You know, uh, Leone did this and stuff. But here's Stanley and even Lustig in the previous film we reviewed. They establish the area we're going to be telling our story in, right? Mm-hmm. And by doing that, you establish a feel. A kind of an atmosphere that uh, you know you may not get with anything else. And filmmakers just—I don't feel like modern filmmakers. Not all of them, but I don't feel like almost most modern filmmakers. I don't think they're really interested in that. I think they're just interested in, in point A to point B to point C. They just want to get that story done. Well, it's also I think symptomatic of the the, the film culture we live in. Where and, and the, no, not not forget film culture, the culture we live in, which is of course, and we talked about this at the same time: immediate and instant gratification. People don't have the patience to wait yeah. for the payoff. Things have to come quick, 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 quick. I want my song in 14 seconds downloaded. I cannot wait to buy the album. And yeah, it's symptomatic, yeah. and it leads over into the way people's expectations are with films. Yeah, and it's true. It's true. And I can see where some people, you know, I think we'll both end up recommending this, but I can guarantee you some people won't dig this as much as we do. There'll be some that love it and some that just probably won't get into it too much because they'll think it's kind of slow in spots. Both of these films, actually, because I don't oh, actually I can't say that because Maniac is pretty – pacey especially with all the great scenes in it because if you're a horror fan i think you're gonna be fun uh if you're not a horror fan you might be a little turned off (laughs) Uh, it's a different film for us like you said it is right up our alley though kind of a horror mixed with a spaghetti western a little avant-garde cinema mixed in there too uh definitely something you know midnight cinema-esque to say the least um got a great feel great trench coat great hat (laughs) oh yeah he looks good in the western sometimes looks like dress up but he looks good man yeah yeah I mean, he kind of, he kind of, it's, it's kind of weird in spots, and it, it messes with your mind. It's one of those kind of movies, kind of messes with your mind a little bit. It's a little bit, you know, uh, subversive to say the least, which is kind of weird because it's released by a DVD label called Subversive Cinema, I think. Uh, but it is a little bit subversive in ways and and interesting. Kind of plays a lot on the hitchhiker myth, uh, a lot too. So I like that. Uh, there's a pretty, yeah, that shot you were talking about, that helicopter shot. There's some, that's a good helicopter shot. And there's some interesting shots of suburban Africa. Yeah, didn't you think absolutely. those? Didn't you think those are kind of interesting to see suburban Africa? Well, it, that was that was what I was saying. That's what made me write that note down. I was watching it with my wife, and it's the scene where Hootkins is talking with. Um, um, forgive me, I forgot his name. No, um, okay. Ma- okay. okay, and it's like the suburban life. There's like the fences and the houses, and then it's like a hundred yards over. It's like just like. <laughs> Like dust and land, expand this expanse of like dry, dusty land, and it just visually it's so incredible because it's 
it's almost like this thing we don't see at all, man. I got to say, man, every time I heard the accent in this, though, I couldn't help but think of Charlotte Copley because he's like the big <laughs> South African guy now. Yeah. You know, but uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I could totally understand that. You know, if you ever hear interviews with Richard Stanley, you'll hear Charlotte Copley as well. <laughs> it's like, it sound a lot like this is this is, you know, a totally unique type of British slash, you know, the kind of you know the German, way, Austrian, Dutch. Yeah, it's just really just kind of weird. Again, the word confluence. It's really all these words, all these cultures mixed together and come out with this unique accent. You know, so very interesting. Um, I think you know the movie holds up incredibly well. I was kind of nervous. I, I even said this on Facebook. I was kind of nervous for you to watch it because you know this. We get into this world sometimes where, as movie fans, you know, there's always something we haven't seen. Let's be honest. Uh, I don't care who you are, movie buff. I don't care who you are. Nobody's seen everything, and there's just too much. And uh, no matter what, uh, there's always something somebody hasn't seen. So when you see something, you know, when I remember when I brought this up, and you was like, "Oh, I've never seen it," and I was like, "Oh, well, we're gonna put that on the roadmap then." You never seen that, mm-hmm. and then uh, you know we started talking about it on other shows, and then Vishnu starts chiming in, "Oh, it's fucking, you know, it's great," and because uh, I know he loves it, and and a bunch of other people start saying how much they like it and stuff, and I'm sitting there thinking, "Oh, fuck, man, everybody's building it up too much." <laughs> because <laughs> you start to get a little nervous you know you're putting your child out there you know you i was like i'm gonna turn will on to this movie i'm gonna put this child out there and now he's gonna think my child is is, is a little ugly and maybe he could use a haircut <laughs> <laughs> and everything you know because uh you know here i am just kind of throwing this thing at him and stuff so i was a little nervous and of course then i talked to you on the phone yesterday and you told me you're 50 minutes in and quite digging it so i was like oh man thank god if he can get into the first 50 he'll get into the last 40 so it'll be okay but you're totally right man it's just one of those things you're just so scared that this little baby that you've kind of cultivated and so if you like you're like you don't want me to like yeah, hate your baby and i feel <laughs> i feel the same way man when you when you vote for a film so much yeah 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 because yeah. you got i mean because it is a fine line and as film buffs and all of us that talk in these circles and stuff all of us have you know, certain films we'll try to turn people on to, and then, you know, we get to... And, and it's not, not a bad thing, because it's just, you know, everybody's opinion, but you get a little deflated when you find out somebody didn't love it as much as you did. Yeah, it's true, man. And, uh, <laughs> you know, but it is, you know, that's just human beings being human beings. I mean, it's going to happen. I mean, not everybody's going to love everything, but it is true. You put this thing out there, and I, and I was thinking to myself, oh, man, they built it up so much, now I'm going to be, like, totally let down if Will thinks it's just, like, kind of mediocre or something. <laughs> <laughs> so I was a little worried about that, but, you know, all in all, it ended up working out. Uh, what I've always liked about the film mostly is, you know, is that it takes its time getting where it's going. It doesn't uh, it doesn't really rush. It establishes itself very well in the first 10, 15 minutes. Kind of tells you what kind of movie we're talking about here. Uh, it follows three different characters on their way to, uh, again, another confluence of <laughs> coming together. That's the word of the week this week, obviously. Yes. And... Uh, it does it well. Uh, I mean, it does it really well, and it mixes dream sequences in well with reality, and kind of this subversive non-reality that ha- that's happening. It, it's it's a pretty special movie in a lot of ways. It's uh, they don't really make a lot of movies like this anymore, and they certainly don't make low-budget horror films like this anymore. Nowadays, a lot of low-budget horror films, unfortunately, are well. I mean, a lot of them are torture porn, and a lot of them are you know monster of the week. Or a lot of them are like the rig, that movie I watched this past week, where you know you got a guy, you got a great idea, being stalked on an oil rig out in the middle of the ocean. It's a great idea, but uh, I mean it's an obvious idea actually. I can't believe nobody had come up with it before. But then you know you get poor execution, which is a shame. Yeah, uh, and so you know it, it's really kind of it's heartwarming to go back and watch a director with talent like Richard Stanley take a kind of like a small idea and turn it into like this kind of grand vision. And that's basically what it is. It's almost like it almost has like an epic vision to it. 
It does absolutely, and I don't know just if that's, the mythology yeah. and everything else. And I think it, you know, one, I think it's the landscape too, because he he establishes a lot of landscape shots, a lot of great shots of cars on these barren fucking roads. Yeah, and it's like cool. uh, it's almost it's almost uh, you can tell you see some Australian movies because it's like these <laughs> these uh, you know post apocalyptic Australian movies with cars in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> oh, absolutely! I said that to my wife. I was like. Man, you know, being in the 70s, 80s, early 90s, before cell phones were so readily available, I'd be terrified to be driving those roads. What if you break down? What if something happens? Like, Oh, yeah, especially like oof. now as a father. You know, if you, let's say you, it's you, your wife, and your two kids out there in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's stretches in certain countries where you can go hundreds of miles and not see a soul. That's, oh, yeah. That's pretty spooky. I remember when I drove out to California when I was younger, um, I drove out there, and there were stretches of Texas and New Mexico and stuff and Arizona where, dude, I, I had the same thought. I thought, if something happens, I'm going to be in a fucking horror movie. I just know that. <laughs> <laughs> if this thing breaks down, I'm going to be in the middle of a horror movie, and I don't even want to be in that movie, so I need to haul ass and get out of here. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and you're not stopping at that gas station with the guy in the rocking chair. Oh, fuck no. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Unless you absolutely have to. Yeah. <laughs> No paying for the pump back then. No paying at the pump back then, I should say. No, sir. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, you, you get nice stretches like that and stuff. And it's just that red sand and everything. And that's a great scene, too, where I don't know if he's got, like, bones on his jacket or something on his jacket. Uh, but they show him from behind, and they show him kicking up dust with his hands. It's a very mm-hmm. practical effect, but it's very effective. You know, because you know there's just a, a big fan off screen, you know, off camera. And he just kind of whoops his hands up, and you just see this big dust devil type thing kick. I mean, for those who don't know who a dust devil is, do you guys get dust devils up there? No, we get snow devils. <laughs> well, that's true. You do get snow devils. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think we – maybe – you know, I don't know. We don't have anything really all that dry landscape-wise, man. Yeah, we uh, – this year, actually, because we've had so little rain, uh, I've seen quite a bit in the open fields around here. I've seen quite a bit of that kind of stuff. Uh, it's been really weird. It's been really weird. I'm like, I'm living in Arizona or something all of a sudden. Uh, because you know he's you know we got a lot of farms around here and they've just been really dry this year and they kick up all that dirt and then you'll see some of it just spinning and kind of going away so for those of you who don't know what a dust devil is uh i don't know if uh <laughs> bjorner in norway knows what a dust devil is <laughs> but it's curious uh you know so anyway uh that's really my thoughts on it i'm really glad you liked it and stuff and i'm glad it uh, for me personally too i'm glad it held up as well as it has so let's hear what you uh make or break mvt and stuff Okay, uh, my make or break is that aftermath of the first killing. Like I said, that room, you're just like, holy cow, man. Like, this is brutal. And you don't, it, it works better because it, it's that old, that smart, creative thing to not show you, but let your mind kind of, you know, imagine what's happened. And right. I really like that because it kind of established the danger that Chelsea Fields was going to be in and the adversary that our, our quote unquote main good guy was up against. Right. Um, so I really like that. Um, my MVT is just the, the concept of the film, which is a pretty great kind of weird spaghetti western meets this mystic kind of South African thing. So it's the, the concept uh, in bed with the setting, which is South Africa. I think it makes for, I think I said this to you, it's so great to see a genre film that is unlike anything you've seen before because uh, setting and concept, it's just fantastic. And I wish... More of them did this, but it's hard to pull off too. I mean, let's let's face it. Stanley's a great filmmaker, so yeah, you know, it could be a slippery slope if we start seeing, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, Burmese, uh, <laughs> you know, 
Burmese uh, goblin films. It just it might go wrong at some point. <laughs> well, I'm, know, sure go, I'm sure it go wrong at a lot of points. You might get one nugget out of there, but I don't know if you get very many. One nugget, the rest <laughs> would be butt nuggets. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> so my score for the film was an 8 out of 10, man. I really enjoyed this. In fact, this thing has a lot of rewatchability to me. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm going to buy it, man. I really dug it. I think... Really great film, man. Really good stuff. Uh, I highly recommend it to anyone who hasn't seen it. I think this really is a real GGTMC film in that it combines a lot of different things that I think a lot of our listeners love into one real great, interesting package. Yeah, and the one thing you can say for sure, and I know you said this basically, but the one thing you can say to anybody for sure is it's unique among genre movies. It's definitely a unique genre movie. It's not something uh, I would say that people, a lot of people probably hadn't seen anything like this before. So, No. Very interesting. Uh, okay, uh, my make or break is uh, basically the opening in a lot of ways. I love the narration. I love the you know hot road. You see our character coming over the hot road. That's always a great movie convention. Uh, I just love that whole first, the whole setup of the whole thing. Uh, man, it's just great all the way up into that aftermath. It's pretty great. I mean, the movie really sucks you in, like in the first fifteen or twenty, and uh, that's very important. I think, especially for a movie like this, to be you know to suck you in quickly, and it sucks you in pretty quick. Uh, my MVT is going to be Stanley. Uh, I'll go with that. He's just a super uber-talented guy. Uh, needs to make more movies. He's got some good documentaries. Should definitely look into. Yeah, I saw there was one about modern voodoo in Haiti and one about uh, one of the uh, the German soldiers in World War II hunting for the Holy Grail or something. Really uh, interesting stuff. Yeah, I mean, he kind of does stuff that's kind of a little, little different. The Holy Grail one's really weird. Uh, I liked it quite a bit. The uh, the voodoo ones, uh, you know, be be a little wary. It uh, you know, it's real voodoo. It's real belief. So there's some some rough animal stuff. Uh, be prepared. But yeah, uh, I can again, imagine there would be. It's a different culture, so you gotta you know you gotta kind of you gotta gotta turn that off a little bit. You gotta remember people were raised in a different culture, so there's some slaughtering to say the least, uh, and a lot of blood. Very disturbing. I mean, you would not believe people in modern days still cover themselves in blood of animals. It's just amazing to see. Uh, amazing to see. Trust me. Uh, my score for the movie is also, uh, it's a little bit higher. Actually, it's not also, but it's a little bit higher in yours. It's an 8.25. Uh, I was really happy that the movie held up for me as well. So uh, it's really great that, uh, you know, we had two solid eight plus films this week. Yeah, coming correct for Halloween, man. Yeah, yeah. Really brought out the brought out the guns. Yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that is our thoughts on Dust Devil. We're going to take a break, come back with some listener feedback. We'll be back right after this. Hi, I'm Coffin John of the V-Cinema Webcast. And I'm Josh of BuriedCellulite.net. We're from the V-Cinema Podcast, a podcast dedicated to Asian, cult, and genre cinema. We cover all genres from Shaw Brothers and Roman porno to heroic bloodshed and contemporary South Korean cinema. You can find us at vcinema.buriedcelluloid.net or in the iTunes store under V-Cinema. That website again is vcinema.buriedcelluloid.net. All right, we are back. 
Sounds like. Eh? So, <laughs> that was Joe Spinell singing to his mother on the soundtrack of Maniac. Yeah. Sounded like somebody was grabbing that guy's grapes. No. Uh, <laughs> yeah, good stuff. A little soulful this morning. Normally I would kind of sing along, but I, uh, there's no way this morning I can get my voice that high. <laughs> no, uh, the brothers give, we're not. <laughs> yes. Oh, uh, yes. There we go. All right. So we have some listener feedback to get into. Um, I'm ready when you are. You want to. I guess we'll, we can kind of bounce back and forth. There's a couple emails. We can bounce back and forth if you'd like this morning. Yeah, sure. Okay, I'll, uh, I'll get into the first one. It's from uh, Metal Mikey. Yeah. Um, and uh, the title is Killer Sheep Bodies, Brother. Uh, <laughs> Dear William and Rick, it's strange that I'm so far behind on episodes, but I noticed just today you post up your latest episode with the coming attractions from about two weeks ago. Uh, brain melting. <laughs> but I... Did listen to the Killer Sheep episode and only just have a few minor notes to throw out. First off, much kudos to Roop. Uh, he and Alex are truly pinch hitters for GGTMC in a fix. Or to put a pro wrestling spin on it, they're the Owen Hart and Davy Boy Smith, the GGTMC's Brett the Hitman Hart and Jim the Anvil Nightheart. No measly demolition crush status for those two. Nice. Pink <laughs> and black bro- tights, brother. You got it, man. <laughs> <laughs> also, to uh, Brian's recent viewing for that episode, when I saw Lost Skeleton of Cadaver, I couldn't get over the fact that I was crushing hard on the Catwoman. <laughs> Holy crap, was she a looker. <laughs> also chalked this episode off as Sammy's opinions butt heads with my own. Okay, only on the fact that I still insist I enjoyed Iron Man 2. Okay. I think it just fulfilled the bigger, better maxim of the sequel while still retaining the charm of the first film. But again, that's just me. And that's about it for disagreements. I couldn't agree more that Scarlet J is supremely underwhelming, period. Although she did have the specs appeal going on in the spirit. Finally, good God, what a piece of five billion year old fecal matter Max Payne is. You brought up the discussion about why sex in cinema feels just so much like a dirty secret in modern films. My theory is a lot of the revelations on sexuality that came around in the late 80s and early 90s really cast uh, a shadow on it in general, and more so for the entertainment industry. Well, it's sort of adult films, but then again, we never, never really thinking how innocent little Oral, I can't even talk, little Oral Annie was in a given flick. <laughs> One major note about Heavenly Bodies, if the Polish football playing lead were truly true with his heritage there would have been at least one kibasa reference thrown out or maybe a punchki reference <laughs> my being of polish background myself i would not hesitate to try the sleazy line hey baby you want to have a pulaski day with my kibasa you could then finish it off with a cream uh, cream filled punchki and this is why i have no active dating life people as always i'm looking forward to playing catch up because even though i'm behind on shows they do not lose their charm or their entertainment value Oh, what a rush. That's right. Metal Mikey. Wow. Yeah, I didn't even put together the... Uh, is that... Is that what, what a rush. That's from Demolition, right? No, that's... Um, what is that? Uh, Legion of Doom, I uh, believe. Oh, yeah, that's right. It's from Legion of Doom. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I remember that now. <laughs> At the opening of their intro music. Yes. I think Hawk, Hawk was the one that would say yeah. that. Oh, what a rush. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um... Yeah, okay. Uh, you know, the, the Iron Man 2 thing. I got a little bit of heat for the Iron Man 2 thing. But, I mean, it's just, you know, it's apples, oranges. I can see why people like it. I just didn't like it. So, Max, I can't see why anyone liked it that much, though, man. I mean, yeah. I didn't hate it as much as you, but I'll never watch it again, man. It, bigger doesn't equal better. That was my thing about that film. Yes. Well, sometimes bigger just isn't better. Uh, 
<laughs> Sounds like I'm trying to make excuses for myself or something. <laughs> uh, we all can agree, though, I think at this point, that uh, Max Payne is a five billion year old piece of fecal matter. Yes. <laughs> that is a bad movie. You know, Mark Wahlberg's really been on a bad run lately. That's really a shame. You know, He kind of started off hot, and uh, he's really just been on a bad run. I hope the fighter's good for him. I really do. Yeah, I was telling you, I'm a sucker, for, as I believe you have, for rousing sports movies. And I don't know, man, I thought it looked pretty solid. I saw the trailer in front of the town. Um, I thought it looked interesting, man. I mean, Bale's almost unrecognizable. He's almost down to the machinist's weight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the guy just, uh, I don't think he can do any role without uh, altering himself in some way. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, what's wrong with that guy? All right, so thanks, Mikey. We appreciate the uh, feedback. Um, let's see here. And, and I just want to say, Mikey, you know, I feel so bad. The guy's always really hard on himself for being like two episodes behind. Dude, don't worry, man. It's yeah. all good. The whole catalog's he, there for a reason. Yeah, I mean, every every time he calls or writes us, he's like, man, I'm an asshole. I'm two <laughs> episodes behind. I was like, dude, I'm way behind on some of my favorite shows. <laughs> it's all good, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The important thing is that, you know, he still listens. That's all. He, you know, he and that you're making propositions for your cream-filled punchki, really. I mean, <laughs> as long as you're doing that, I understand the delay in uh, listening. A good old punchki. Yes. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Bill sent out an email about his uh, second annual OTC Halloween throwdown, so I'll just go ahead and mention that real quick, that uh, Saturday, October 30th, Bill's doing his uh, six-film run on his live stream, tv.outcinema.com. Uh you know, chat room, all kinds of stuff, special guests. Now, last year, a lot of us were supposed to be there. It just didn't really work out. Uh, he didn't ask me this year because he probably knows I can't do it. <laughs> but, hey, you know, it is what it is. I'll probably pop in, in and out throughout the day, though. Um, let's see here. Dusty, here we go. Uh, hey, gents, going to have to keep this brief because I'm at work, but I haven't written or called in a long time or what feels like a long time. All right, to be, to be the asshole who comes late to the party, much congrats on hitting episode 100. I actually find that inspirational. You guys not only decided to do a podcast, but you've stuck to your guns. You always deliver, and the show is always consistent. Also, much congrats to Will on the arrival of his new son. I saw the pictures on Facebook. He's a great-looking little guy. One more thing. I owe you guys a blog entry for the GGTMC blog. I'm writing this to remind myself and also shame myself publicly when it doesn't get done. Thanks to Aaron for sending me the invite. It's coming. I'm trying to watch not just one movie to write about, but three or four. My own blog has had a little bit of a, a lag. I've never really uh, plugged it publicly. wasn't sure if it was ready for prime time. It's called Playground of Doom. But why not? And that's at uh, playgroundofdoom.blogspot.com. Come on by, leave me comments, etc. I realized when I was downloading the latest episode that it's been over a year since I first stumbled on your show. I think I've heard every episode at, at one point or another. All right, back to work, Dusty. All right, so Dusty giving us a little bit of inspiration to keep going. I find that compliment that uh, we've remained we've remained consistent. I find that to be one of the most uh, complimentary things anybody's ever said. I totally agree. I totally agree. And, and uh, of course, thank you very much for the kind words about my wee lad. Uh, yes, Dusty, by the way. But but no, I, I'd said to you, um, uh, recent uh, douchebaggery aside, I think one of the things people <laughs> admire most about well, number four, the gunslinger, <laughs> is uh, his consistency. Um, and I think anything, man, it's just the fact that we can come in week after week after week after week after week and and do this. It, I, I, yeah, and I know it's definitely a point of pride for both of us. Yep. Yeah, because it, it can be tough. Uh, there's no doubt. I mean, there's some mornings. <laughs> we joke about it out the air. There's some mornings, man, where it's just brutal getting up as early as we have to get up to do this. <laughs> 
Yeah. I laugh because, I mean, t- t- this morning I'm feeling fine. I'm feeling great. Mm-hmm. I, went to, I went to bed immediately when I got home. I'm feeling great. Um, life is good. Uh, everything's great right now. But there's some mornings where I've had, uh, the baby's not slept and I've gotten like maybe 20 minutes of sleep. <laughs> and it's like, oh. <laughs> yeah, it's it's awful. It's, it's, like, until we get going, like you, we, yeah, like we always yeah. say. Yeah, until we get going. Once we start talking about movies and, pe- and talking about the feedback and stuff, it always gets going. But it's definitely not the, oh, what a rush. <laughs> Yeah, I was gonna. I was trying to work that in because you went, oh, yeah. And then I guess if we were to amalgamate that with an old GGTMC classic, it would be, oh, oh, what a rush. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, and also obviously we're never gonna send anyone photos of our cocks. So no, five streak aside, uh, that's really all we have in common with the men. It's a different type of streaking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> okay, that's all I got on this. <laughs> yes, let's move on. Uh, next one from John, and he sends us one with a great title: "Cinematic Defecation." Yes, probably the most romantic motion picture bowel movement. And he sends us a uh, clip on YouTube. I believe it's from Friday Thirteenth Part. Gosh, five, six. Is it three or four? What? No, it's definitely not three or four. I know three. It's my favorite. So I know it very well. Four, I've seen a fair, but I don't remember it from four. I think it's, uh, you know what, I'm going to, uh, oh, uh, part five. Yeah, that's right. Okay. okay. Um, and it's uh, basically, what's his name there? Uh, Miguel Nunez, I think that's his name. Yeah, yeah. He's from Return of the Living Dead. Um, it's a scene where he and uh, his girlfriend, he, I guess he's he, lamenting that he ate uh, and some bad enchiladas and he's in an outhouse and... <laughs> Him, it's bizarre because him and his girlfriend end up doing a duet together while he's in the uh, outhouse. So, yeah, yeah the, uh, the I was thinking about that those crapping scenes, defecation scenes. Uh, that the I was thinking that was one of the weird things about the uh, that one movie with the Nazi zombies that just came out not too long ago. What was it called? Uh, oh, Dead Snow. Yeah, Dead Snow. There's a scene where an, an individual goes out to an outhouse and he's taking a a uh, number two, so to speak, and. Uh, this hot girl comes out and makes love to him while he's in the outhouse. So, you know, there's some things in life that, uh, you know, some people are into, I guess. Yeah, that's that's pretty impressive that she's going to roll into an outhouse. and uh, yeah, even, even if he's done, having sex in the outhouse is not exactly ideal. No, outhouses are pretty disgusting, man. Yeah, they're, they're last resorts and emergency only, in my opinion. Yeah, and I, I, I mean, I really try. I mean, I'm not really... Squeamish, I'll shit anywhere I have to shit, but an outhouse on a hot summer day, man, Ooh. it's, uh, it's Ooh. not first choice, man, that's for sure. No, that's definitely for sure. It's fucking rich in there, man. <laughs> yeah. Oof. yeah, buttery. All right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, next one's from Zach. Uh, GGTMC, haven't made contact in a while, but I'm still listening, still a big fan. Just finished Shotgun Stories last week and is already a favorite. Can you recommend the best version of Russell's The Devils and where to purchase? Cheers, Zach. Uh, <laughs> I can, if yeah, you want. Go uh, ahead. Well, firstly, thanks, Zach. I yeah. was beginning to think you didn't listen anymore. I hadn't heard from you in a while. Um, glad you're still listening. Uh, glad you dug shotgun stories. And as for The Devils, why don't you email us again uh, or, or let me know the best way to get a hold of you? I guess probably email, but uh, yeah. whatever it is, just uh, shoot us another email um, when you hear this, and we'll take care of it, because I don't think you can buy... Can you buy the version we... Uh, I don't think anymore you can't. Yeah. 
So get in contact with us. We'll do a, we'll hook you up. Yep. I don't think anymore you can. I think I mean it's out there. I think, but uh, you might pay a pretty penny for it. I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's not easy to come by anymore. It's a weird, it's a weird movie. It comes and it goes. Comes and it goes. Uh, um, okay, who wants to do the last one? Me or you? Not I okay. can do it. That's right. cool. And the title is Mullet of the Golden Boy. This is from a good friend of the show, Carl Bresden. Gentlemen, a little shocked and mildly disappointed that you went 102 episodes before touching on the films of Jerry Trimble. As you mentioned, he's had a supporting and totally fucking random role in Heat, and he's done a lot of stunt work in mainstream Hollywood films, of which Charlie's Angels might be the most notable. The Golden Boys, he was dubbed during his pro kickboxing days, also did a few Filipino action films under the watchful eye of Sergio H. Santiago during the early 1990s. Mm-hmm. One film that I think deserves special consideration is Live by the Fist, a prison epic that includes George Takei as the prison's wise elder and Santiago regular Vic Diaz as the cruel warden. While there are literally hundreds of jokes one could make about a film set in prison with George Takei in the cast and Fist in the title, it's a decent action film with some wonderfully silly moments. <laughs> and as a matter of fact, yes, there is a fight in the shower. I'd encourage all to take a gander at the trailer, if not the whole film. All kidding aside, Trimble was one of the best on-screen kickers of the modern film era. One need look no further than his climactic fight scene with Jet Li in 1989's The Master to see Trimble's ability in this respect. Come for the incredible kick choreography, stay for his absolutely breathtaking mullet. Uh, keep up the great work, guys. Your recent run in the last several months is like a Ric Flair NWA title reign. Dominant in the ring, engaging on the mic, and bathed in incredible sequined robes. <laughs> nice. All the best, Carl. <laughs> Woo! Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, I really want to see the film that uh, Trimble's in from 99 called Shogun Cop with Robert oh, Patrick in it. <laughs> so. yeah, yeah, Patrick did a bunch of uh, Santiago films early in his career. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm. Uh, I can't remember why we were talking about Jerry Trimble. Do you remember why we were talking about him? Yeah, because he uh, he was. I think either he had a small part in um, Kickbox Terminator, or it was kind of one of those rabbit hole things where we were looking up Scott Shaw uh, yeah. and seeing that he'd worked with Trimble. It was just kind of a. Oh, I think it was when we I clicked on Terminator Woman, which I told you to check out the cover for, and Jerry Trimble's the one that stars in Terminator Woman. Yeah, and I thought I recognized him from Force 5, and oh, yeah. he, we'd seen him before. We couldn't, weren't quite sure where, but uh, yeah. yeah. But thanks for that, Carl. I mean, that is uh, that is high praise indeed, yes. truly, to compare us to a Ric Flair NWA title reign, because yeah. Flair's the man in my books. Yes. <laughs> Maybe a douche in real life, but... Yes. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, you know it, it's, it's hard to be positive all the time when your chest looks like uh, cured leather. So... <laughs> Or an overcooked fucking Virginia ham. <laughs> yeah. All right, so we have some voicemail to get into. Here we go. Voicemail number one. Gentlemen, this is Dr. Zom. I'm watching Super Size Me as we speak. Um, I know some people don't care for Morgan Spurlock, and I recently heard on a documentary podcast... Uh, someone lamenting that Morgan Spurlock puts himself at the head, at the forefront of every documentary that he is in. It's not like Donald Pleasant. But I say no. I say nay. <laughs> Maybe he does, but it's still entertainment, Doesn't and he? I am entertained by the boy who was originally born in Parkersburg, West Virginia. That boy was pure evil. Becky, West Virginia. <laughs> oh, 
All hail to Morgan Spurlock. I enjoy your shit, man. <laughs> he really does sound Other like Other than that, <laughs> does. I do not like Bam Margera. <laughs> I agree with Large William on that point. On the other hand, I like Sammy Fine Jackass to be very moronic, and I sound like an old fogey by stating <laughs> you really that do. Jackass, <laughs> you sound like Donald Pleasant. Bad for yes. impressionable morons. <laughs> yes. You can take, your skull can take a lot of punishment. Your bones can take a lot of punishment. <laughs> wow. Your balls can take a considerable amount of punishment. No, he would know. And I know something about punishing my balls. There we go. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that you should punish your skull, your bones, and your <laughs> this is Dr. Zom, deep in the bowels of the bunker, saying, Zom, it. It was a. I don't think I don't think that voicemail started as that uh, type of thing, and then he just kind of got on it and just started rolling with it. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, he quickly became Dr. Loomis and. <laughs> yeah. Critical of the youth of today and their antics in film, and <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah he's <laughs> oh man, I don't. I was trying to think of some more Donald Pleasant uh, type thing. I, you, you didn't hear uh, when, I, when, we, when you probably did hear it when I did the show with uh, Lofa talked about that Diodato film called uh, Phantom of Terror or something like that, uh, something like that. With Michael York and Donald Pleasant. Yeah, basically like a fan of the opera movie, but Michael York kind of suffers from progeria in the movie, which is kind of just really weird. And uh, but there's a scene where fucking Pleasant is just running around the streets going, "You bastard!" You oh, I did bastard. hear you. Say that. <laughs> it's a. It goes on for about a minute. Even him just screaming, "Bastard!" Nice. <laughs> I was just dying. I was laughing so hard, man. But there's a, if you go back and watch Halloween, there's a lot of really great quotable lines from Donald Pleasant in that movie. Good old Pleasant's one of the great check cashers. Oh yes, oh, yes, oh, yes. No doubt about that. And yes, we've uh, we've seen very many. Uh, there's varying opinions on Jackass. I think with Jackass, I think it's one of those things where you either you're on or you're off. And I don't really think there's any in between. I haven't seen anybody with an in betweener yet. That sounded dirtier than it should have for some yeah, reason. An in betweener does sound like something you do like right before lunch or something. All right, yes. uh, <laughs> it's called a taint. All right. Uh, <laughs> It's definitely an in-betweener. That isn't the the in-betweener, one would say. Yes. Next voicemail. Hey, gents, it's Emily. I'm about to leave like the most non-GGTMC voicemail ever, but I kind of feel like I have to because I was totally called out on last week's. Um, so I'm actually sitting, waiting to see Dylan and Christine. Uh, it's like Friday night. We're like, hey, let's get together. But before I do that, I'm like, stay here and get all happy. Fuck that. And I don't know what she's you know, gluten-free substance TV smoking. <laughs> but Step Up 3D is amazing, and it's in 3D, and it's the first time I think I've seen a 3D movie where they've used it in the right way because there's, like, angry dancers dancing in your face, and they're wearing <laughs> 80s clothing, there and there are dance battle after dance battle, and they're all very ethnically centered, which is hilarious. And there's a robot guy who just is the robot, and I, I can't give another reason for why it's, superior to the rest of the film, she was very good, even though the moral of it is kind of let the rich kids um, and model minorities think. 
Oh, I just got a text message from Christine, so I should probably end this <laughs> to say, war is accepted, and my talent is karaoke, not dance, but I, if I got to do it, I got to do it. I'm going to do it. Um, Will and Sammy, love you as always. Testosterone, bye. <laughs> she had to get the testosterone in there. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah the uh, okay well we're just gonna have to with when it comes to the step up films I think we're just gonna have to trust in our listeners uh I don't I don't see us covering those unless we were to make some kind of wacky bet <laughs> yeah no I don't know if I can do that but if they do the dance off uh, in yeah. Queen City yes uh, and it's a fierce dance off I'd almost be willing to watch them if they let us videotape the dance off <laughs> and post it online mm-hmm. <laughs> nice nice. Um, all right, next voicemail. Moving right along. Hey, Jens, it's Cody. Uh, a voicemail that's a little, little overdue. Um, just a few things I wanted to hit on. Uh, first off, most importantly, I want to congratulate Will on the birth of his son. That's really amazing. Um, I'm really enjoying the way this podcast family's families are growing. Um, secondly... Uh, I guess it's like 104, 105 episodes, but just like 100 episodes, just like that to to have like eclipsed that mark is amazing. Um, the of uh, I don't know Leone's like dollar trilogy is certainly like the perfect grandiose and like majestic event to uh, to use it for a hundred episode hundred episode. But for me, the episode that like. The, the episode that was... I don't know how to phrase this. The, the, episode 99 was just... <laughs> may have just been your very best show. Um, <laughs> at first, when I, when I saw Undefeatable, because I went and I found Undefeatable and Bulletproof immediately after the show, I was, I was almost mad at the both of you for not having covered it before. 90, 98 episodes and no Undefeatable. <laughs> It's fucking outstanding. (laughs) Yeah, like I had my experiences with Godfrey Hill in the past were bad ones, just not good in any way, not enjoyable in the slightest. I wouldn't wouldn't have given it a try if you if you guys hadn't uh, vouched for it like you did. I think Will, you give it a nine. Like I I think I called last time said that the Devils was the best thing to cover. I spoke to you soon. It's obviously (laughs) undefeatable. It's just a wonderful movie, and like they are comparable. Yeah, for it to be <laughs> things to be that good, ninety nine episodes in, just like it keeps me optimistic about the future. Um, so excited to see where you guys go next. Uh, yeah, and um, oh, um, on Jackass, uh, just want to get listeners' opinion. I am from sounds of it one hundred percent with Will. I love Jackass have since the first time I saw it when I was young. Saw Jackass 3D opening night. It's really wonderful. The 3D in it is better than the 3D in Avatar. There are a couple of sequences that are just gorgeous looking. Um, Like legitimately amazing looking. And yeah, Bam Margera is just just awful. Um, Yeah, that's it. Um, Keep up the great work. And I will uh, talk to you later. Bye. All right, all right. Um, <laughs> he's almost badass for not covering it before that. Uh, you know, we talk about off the air all the time about movies like Undefeatable and Bulletproof and stuff. And uh, really, there is a plethora, to use a fancy word, uh, of these 
these action movies like this out there, and we have so many in our kitty, so to speak, that it's really just hard to get to them all. Uh, trust me, there is there is much, much, much to come when it comes to those type of movies like Undefeatable and Bulletproof. I mean, there are so many. So it's always been an overlooked genre, in my opinion. The uh, the kind of a uh, <laughs> C grade or Z grade action movie. <laughs> it, it always leads to great conversation too, even when the movie's not good, like Kickbox Terminator. Yeah, which we talked about it. It was really funny that to the point where we were so aware of it that we had to say, listen, this film's not as good as we're making it sound. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, we had a lot of fun talking about it. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, uh, yes. Was that, sorry, was that all you had? That's, uh, that's, all, I, that's all I had, yeah. Okay, so I want to say thank you uh, for the kind words. Uh, I'm glad he also likes Jackass. I do want to say, when he said he's optimistic about our future... Uh, also, I did give it an 8.5, that being undefeatable. Um, and again, of course, in the context of what it is. <laughs> yeah. um, Ho is really a hit or miss. I mean, a couple of those slapdash Ninja Fu movies are fun. A lot of them are pretty painful. Um, but uh, as for what the future holds, I know uh, you know we just want to keep challenging ourselves uh, and challenging our listeners to get into different genres, different things. Uh, I've got some pretty artsy European films, uh, including one Mother and Son, that I've been meaning to see for quite some time. Um, just a bunch of stuff. We just want to keep pushing it and and mixing a high art and low brow and everything in between. So yeah, I think actually next week's show will be a good example of high art and low brow. <laughs> yeah, good point. Good point. <laughs> Which <we're> yeah. filthy. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll announce what we're going to cover next week with Ian uh, after after we get done here. But uh, yeah, it'll be a good example of that. <laughs> yes, it will certainly. All right. Thanks, Cody. Uh, next voicemail. Hey, Big Willie and the Samurai, it is I, Tom DJ, from Veteran the Dark Laboratories out of Brooklyn. Just finished listening to episodes 102, and uh, I was listening to the discussion you had towards the end about the, sorry, 103, not that said, the one um, covering uh kickbox county line the one count covering uh kickbox terminator and making county line and uh, i was listening to the conversation we're having about director actor pairs and i forgot and i'm surprised that you guys because i know that one or both of you are big fans of a man that i greatly revere a great great man by the name of larry cohen forgot to mention of course larry cohen and michael murphy murray sorry michael murphy you know, uh, although, of course, I think the reason why Michael Murphy appeared in four or five of his films, almost back to back to back, because he was in Q, and he was in The Stuff, and he was in Island of the Damned, and he was in Return to Salem's Lot, and all this other stuff with him, is because I think that Larry Cohen was the only guy who put up with the bizarreness that was Michael Murphy, you know? <laughs> but... I, I, I love you guys as always, and uh, just for the record, I'm starting a new uh, a new movement to call Brett Favre the penis mailer from now on. So from now on, I think <laughs> that whenever he's playing, the, the uh, color commentary team should refer to him as the quarterback for the Minnesota Vikings, penis mailer. Um, Jesus. <laughs> catch you guys later. I, I really hope you guys are going to try to contribute to episode 100 of BITD, which is a recording in November, because I would love to have you guys on, even for a few minutes. Talk to you later. Peace. 
All right. Good old Tom. I like how that voicemail started out kind of quiet, and, uh, and then we start talking about Larry Cohen and Michael Burvey. He just kind of gets pumped and gets going. Yeah. And then he talks about Brett Favre's penis, and he really gets going. Yes. <laughs> By the way, the streak might be over, I'm reading, about the uh, some fractures in the ankle, possibly. Maybe. Yeah. It's ironic that it's going to probably come at the hands of the Packers, and... Um it was going to be ironic if, if it was like no one on the field could stop him, but the commissioner did because of all the indiscretions. And it's still ironic that it's probably he's going to play. It. Trust me, trust me, he will start. He's going to wear a fucking boot. Yeah, he'll get out there and you know at least play a half and hobble around. But I'm just so happy. It was my son's birthday, second birthday, mm-hmm. and I fucking was like, just please God, let the pass because they haven't beat him since uh, yeah. since he's left since he went to the Vikings. Yeah, and yeah. yeah. And this was the, literally this is I, I, he's not coming back next year. I can tell you that, the, especially with this this controversy. Um, yeah. But I was just like, please God, this is his last fucking game at Lambeau. Let them beat him. It's my son's birthday, <laughs> and you know this bargaining and uh, brokering we do as film fans and or uh, as sports fans and oh, and film fans. It, it goes both ways. And film fans, yeah. But it. Uh, <laughs> Thank goodness they beat him, man. Oh, fuck, I was. And then he there was there was a touchdown that got called back. I think it was to Rice, Sidney Rice, right in the back of the end zone with like like four seconds left. I'm like, you got to be fucking kidding me, you know. But he, uh, yeah, I think this. Anyway, uh, we're digressing. But yeah, no. Uh, and as for getting on their hundredth episode, if we can swing something, I know we'd be happy to. If not, at the very least, Tom, we're gonna call something into you. Yeah, we'll get something over there. Uh, and for those of you who are not listening to Better in the Dark, you really should be. I know they're not part of the uh, Palaver Syndicate, so to speak, but uh, yeah, you should really be checking out the show. Uh, they have a lot of fun talking about a lot of different things. Oh, yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, next voicemail, here we go. Gentlemen, it is low tep. Uh, just um, phoning in to say um, congratulations, Will, on the new one. That's great. Uh, cute kid anyways you. <laughs> um you guys talk about uh, a movie that's made for the ggtcm uh gcm and uh, i saw this um movie called no contest recently it's a good old shannon tweed movie uh where she doesn't get naked However, she does play the Bruce Willis role in this diehard ripoff movie, with the bad guys being Andrew Dice Clay yeah. and Roddy Piper. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when I saw this, I thought, well, if there ever is a GGTCM movie, this would be it. <laughs> uh, Robert D- Davi's in it as well, um, sticking around a bit longer than he did in the original Die Hard, and uh, I don't know. Something maybe you guys should check out. Anyways, uh, take her easy, and uh, I'll talk to you again soon. Bye. GGTCM, that's us. Uh, <laughs> Although, if we could somehow get in, in bed with our favorite classic movie channel, The Gentleman's Guide to Classic Movies would be a nice offshoot. Oh, yeah, that would be nice. Uh, no Contest, 1994. Uh, never seen it, but I do know of it. And uh, there's actually a sequel. <laughs> Which is even awesome, called uh, No Contest 2, Access Denied, starring Shannon Tweed and Lance Henriksen. Very nice. Yeah, didn't we, again, in one of our searches, one of us stumbled onto this one and we just couldn't believe the cast. And I think <laughs> I think Tweed and Piper pay, play like cop like partners or something. I can't remember what it was, but 
Yeah, that's definitely in our wheelhouse, man. Uh, so, and thanks for looking out again about my son. It's uh, 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 <laughs> kind yeah. words. Yeah, it's, it's, it's rated R. On Netflix, it's rated R for a great amount of strong violence. <laughs> so Ooh, nice. so uh, I put it on the queue at number one. So was, uh, even though we might have stumbled across it, I never grabbed it. So I'm putting it on the queue. Sharon, when she doesn't, Sharon Bell, the famous female kung fu movie star, is one of his hostages in this movie. Nice. Okay. <laughs> Andrew Dice Clay is an international drug dealer <laughs> who infiltrates the Miss Galaxy pageant. Yeah, that's what it was. There was a beauty pageant backdrop. Oh, Jesus. I saw a scene of him in a, in a dressing room that was quite enjoyable. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, next voice panel, Lotep called back. Wow. A few episodes behind, guys. Just got caught up. Uh, heavenly bodies. Oh, I got some memories of heavenly bodies, let me tell you. Uh, Sam, you're talking about how you used to sneak the horror movies in uh, when you were renting your VHS movies for your mom. Well, I used to uh, say I was taping horror movies when we first got a VCR late at night. But what I'd really do <laughs> was... Uh, tape anything that I think breasts would be in. <laughs> yes. So I got to see a lot of the mid-80s uh, nice little softcore romps and stuff like uh, Heavenly Bodies, which I thought would be, you know, full of boobs. Uh, preppies, private lessons, private school, all those good stuff, uh, you know. Um, <laughs> so that is one movie I particularly remember recording and uh, watching repeatedly if you know what I mean uh, <laughs> I had actually forgotten completely about it until you reviewed it yeah. and uh, <laughs> uh, the <laughs> memories <Yeah>. anyways <laughs> that's all I gotta say about that I guess not much at all besides well thanks for reawakening old memories alright well it's been a low tap uh, talk to you later. Bye. Sounds like we reawakened a giant. It does sound like that. He's uh, he's hearkening back to the early days of his masturbatory career. Yes. <laughs> Let's uh, let me let me read the uh, plot to Face of Evil: No Contest Two Access Denied. Okay. Uh, after mm-hmm. Sharon Bell unwittingly foils an art gallery heist, she finds herself in the middle of a deadly hostage crisis. Okay, everything sounds fine, right? Even worse, Bell discovers that the heist was concocted by a terrorist, played by Lance Hendrickson with an even more sinister plan to auction off huge amounts of lethal Nazi nerve gas to the highest bidder. Now Bell must stop the madman and try to stay alive in this tense action thriller. Everything was going fine until they got to the auctioning off Nazi gas. Yeah. And it's like, uh, who wrote that? (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like something right up our alley. (laughs) That might have to be a double deuce right there. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Face of Evil or not? Yeah, no contest part one and two. All right. Uh, yeah, thanks, Lotep. We appreciate that. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, we were all teenagers, dude. <laughs> yeah, and even sometimes I still have those feelings, so to speak. All right. Uh, next voicemail. Last voicemail, I should say. Well, hey, gents, it's Mike uh, down in Florida. I had uh, this whole spiel plan. I was going to call and talk about making County Line and talk about. You know, it's a film that I've championed for a long time. It's kind of a lost, forgotten little gem of a movie and how it has this great, you know, these great nuanced characters. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, there's nobody really good or evil in that movie. Everybody's a victim of circumstance in a lot of ways. And there was, you know, 
it's a lot to the movie that I really like. You know, so I was driving when I was a kid, stuck with me all these years. And I was going to do that, but then, you know, I went to the county fair tonight, you know, the big fair, the, you know, the rides and all that, and the carnies are in town. So I felt like I'd be around my people. And, uh, <laughs> and I, I, on the way out, there, it felt like there was like a challenge to my manhood because they actually had a cheeseburger, but instead of a bun, they put it between two hot Krispy Kreme donuts. And, oh, yeah. you know, of course, being a dumbass and, and you know, thinking this is like, you have to prove your manhood. I was there with my wife and my daughter, of course. I had to prove my manhood. I actually bought one of the things, and I <laughs> I, I ate about three bites of it before I wanted to kill myself. So, um, <laughs> Jesus. yeah, I was going to do that, but now my brain is just so damn scrambled that I, I don't think I can. So, uh, anyway, I, I've been listening to the show. I hadn't called in a while. I had some health issues, probably because I'm eating the way I am. But, uh, anyway, uh, just wanted to say hello and keep up the good work and... Adios, boys. Talk to you later. Ciao. Yes. Good old Mike. Calling in after eating the donut. <laughs> I've heard of those things. I haven't had one. I've heard of those things. It's funny. I was just talking about one of those um, because a friend of mine, it was, again, on Sunday night. Uh, my buddy was here, and we were talking about, um, oh, what are we going to order? We're going to order some food, this and that, because we got back from my son's birthday, and everyone was a little bit tired, and... And he goes, you know what? He goes, let's all order the double down from KFC. <laughs> yes. I think that's what it's called. And I, I go, oh, my God, man, are you kidding me? He goes, it was the greatest thing I ever had in my life. And then I felt more disgusting than I ever had in my life. <laughs> yeah. This guy, to give him an idea, he's a human garburator. He he finished his 12-inch sub. He had uh, about a third of my 12-inch sub. He had a third of my wife's 12-inch sub. He had a whole bowl of soup, uh, something else. And this guy said, he goes, I will never eat one of those again. He goes, I felt disgusting for days. <laughs> yes. <laughs> nice. Delish. All right. Have, uh, you, I've have had, you had it? I've had one. I've had one. I'm not, uh, it's a little messy, uh, honestly. A little messy. So, uh, I'm, I'm an adventurous eater. Uh, I'll, uh, I'll try anything once, uh, but... Uh, Usually that's about as far as it goes. Usually, especially with the the uh, what's what's the word I'm looking for here? The kind of uh, kind of diabolical, kind of just gluttonous type stuff. I'll definitely try it one time, but uh, I kind of you know, I mean, I have to stay away from that stuff because I am a. I'll, I'll admit it to everybody. Like most men, I'm a food addict, and uh, I will throw down some serious amounts of garbage if I'm allowed to. So I have to kind of wean away from that stuff. <laughs> Yeah, it takes the, you have to be very conscious of what you're eating because yeah, I'm guilty of it too, man. Yeah, I mean, I think I think most men are. I think most men, uh, you know, uh, men love to eat. It's no secret. Oh, yeah. So uh, you know, and then usually the greasier and the and the, you know the more unhealthy, the better, obviously. So yeah, it's like I, I probably said to you, and I always lament. Uh, I always say to people, you know, especially my wife, I wish bad food was good for me. I'd eat so much more. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 a it's a tough road. It's a tough road, especially for people who struggle with it, like me. I, I do struggle with it. I, I, I love to eat, and uh, you know, it, it's tough. But it is what it is. That's all of our feedback. <laughs> and Will's yawning. <laughs> Sorry, man. I didn't get as much sleep as I would have liked. To feel okay, but yes. I'm looking at a film called UFO Fever that stars a Jersey Jersey alien hunter douchebags. So, wow! I'm uh, looking into that right now. <laughs> hey, if they made a remake, they could cast the uh, the oh. Jersey Shore people. Yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> no comment on the Jersey Shore people. 
All right. If you want to get under our pleasantries, and then we'll talk about next week's show and get moving along. All right. So, again, Harhan weekend is now less than a month away. Yep. It's going to be quite good. Uh, we're all going to be there. So, try to come down and check it out. Uh, check out palaver.com, uh, which is the home to a lot of your favorite websites. Uh, and of course, our sister shows, Show Show, in the midst of their uh, annual fourth or fifth annual Spooktacular. Um, I'm not caught up. I'm I'm still a ways behind, but I'm, I'm getting caught up. It's yeah. Uh, I'm on, I'm on uh, Brides of Dracula right now. Okay, yeah. I'm, I'm I can't remember what the last one I listened to was, but I just I've I've really loved uh, Katie's uh, lamenting at the absence of a uh, the genre of westerns with witches in them. Uh, it was pretty funny. Anyway, uh, Family Movie Night, Chinsuri versus Punter, Cinerama, 35mm Heroes, NOTLP, uh, Girls on Film, The Big Red Podcast, Movie Meltdown, Paleo Cinema, Podcast of Dreaded Sundown, uh, Cinecultania, V Cinema, Action Attraction, Better in the Dark, uh, Gore Press Gorecast, The Hammockist Cast, which should be coming out soon. That's uh, Brian and I think he said Mike from Cadaver Labs uh, podcast. Um, I looked for it online. I couldn't see it, so maybe that's still in the process of getting uh, getting rolling. But uh, there's that. And there's also I Can Has podcast, which is of course uh, Mel and Stefan um, yeah. doing a show about the business of uh, social networking and so forth. So mm-hmm. trending and all this. So very interesting stuff. Uh, and I guess I should keep reading, shouldn't I? <laughs> um, fuck. <laughs> uh, Paracinema.net, our favorite uh, genre magazine, Nightmare Theater. Blip.tv, horrorcommentary.com, blogs, we have uh, the ggtmc.blogspot.com, Piccolo, these are all blogspot.com, as always, uh, Piccolo, Rupert Pupkin Speaks, I keep banging this cup with my pen, fuck man. (laughs) It's like you're Um, going to be one of those kind of guys that fills the glasses with water. Like 25 glasses, (laughs) different levels of water. And play play a little (laughs) tune for me on the uh, podcast. (laughs) I don't have the energy for that, I'll just bang one rhythmically. (laughs) Yeah. And check out Rich on Film. There we go. <laughs> um, and that's why I podcast, and I'm not a musician. Chuck uh, Norris Ate My Baby, D- uh, Death Rattle 13. Fuck, I can't remember. Oh, my God. <laughs> Heaven's Trash. Yeah. Uh, Lightning Bugs Lair, Naked Eskimo, Big Suck Loser, Funky16Corners.LunarPages.net, Region Incognito, Fist of B-List, and uh, that's it. Uh, otherwise, omg-entertainment.com, GGTMC10 for, uh, I believe it's 10% off your orders. Uh, we are going to be covering the Fulci Western by him very soon, Silver Saddles. And uh, finally, Podcast Alley, which no one seems to care about anymore. iTunes reviews, friend us all on Facebook. Uh, there's Twitter, which is twitter.com backslash GGTMC, Pickle of 10, Bob Freelander, Large William, and... Uh, Uncool Cat's on there now, right? He's been up there for a while, I think. So, what on the Twitter? Yeah, he's on. Yeah. There. He's on there. He pops in there occasionally. Yes, uh, and of course, again, the donate button. Um, you know what? One thing I did want to mention, actually, uh, I'm glad I remembered this. Um, and we're gonna have to get the wheels in motion on this very soon if it's gonna happen. Probably by first or second week of November at the very, very latest. Uh, Kringle, if anyone wants to do the the Kringle or the Mystery Santa thing again this year. Um, send the emails to midnightcinema at gmail.com. Um, that's M I D N I T E, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, I need them within the next two weeks. It's going to be a blast. 
Uh, it's been great. You know, I've got members-only jackets and Hands of Steel posters uh, in the past from people. Uh, it's just it's a lot of fun uh, getting the community together. So if anyone wants to do the um, the Kringle this year, let me know. And uh, that's it. What are we covering next week? Well, next week we have our good friend from uh, Cinerama and 35mm Heroes coming on, uh, Ian, from uh, those shows. Uh, Sir Ian Loring, as we like to call him. He's coming on the show. So... He picked a film, uh, and then I threw some ideas at him, and he just kind of, you know, picked one else at random too. And it'll be out next week. It'll be out this week actually, so it all kind of works out on DVD and Blu-ray. So uh, we're covering. Uh, it's an all French show, oddly, which is just it's just weird how these things work out. <laughs> and it's so weird that the Englishman chose an all French show as opposed to maybe going with something to represent, like an Amicus or Hammer or something. Yeah, yeah, it's very strange, uh, but. Uh, yeah, so we're pick, we're watching uh, Gaspar Noé's uh, "I Stand Alone," which is actually Ian's pick, and uh, we're also going to check out the French zombie film "The Horde," which uh, none of us have seen, I believe. So, uh, you know, we've heard mixed things. Uh, not big on the zombie genre, but hey, it's uh, you know it could be fun. We never know. You never know. Maybe it'll change my opinion of the zombie genre. I already Probably have. Probably not, but uh, <laughs> yeah. I have. I already have strong opinions on I Stand Alone. I know you do too. So uh, you know we're good yes. to go there. So, and I don't think he hasn't seen it actually. I think he's been holding off on that for a while. Now he's going to try and check it out. So, did you hit that cup again? <laughs> this time I'm I'm uh, putting a new wrinkle in my game. It was glass on coffee mug. <laughs> yes, there we go. <laughs> and the wrinkle to the uh, to the mix. Putting shame in everyone's game. That's the remix version of the Glass yes. song. <laughs> I just need some auto-tune. It could be a number one hit. Yes. <laughs> but that is what we're covering. I Stand Alone and uh, The Horde. So it should be a lot of fun. Uh, and, you know, just having Ian on the show. Uh, we've, we've, I mean, him talked about it forever. And so it's just going to be great to have him on stuff. Because I haven't been on his show since, Jesus, since The Wolfman. So that's been a long, that's been a while ago. A year over a year. Well over a year. Has it been that long? I think so. <laughs> Jesus, time flies when you're having this much fun. All right, so that is everything. Got anything else you'd like to add? And are we out? Are we ghost? Or we? we, I think we're done. We are done. All right. With that, I'll say uh, adios. Adios. Now the music should play. Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com. You can call the gentleman. At 206-666-5207. And you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com.